Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The one thing is, is Buchnevich. Armstrong has set a high price on him, and I think what's going to be interesting is if who's going to pay it. Like, I think Edmonton's a team that would consider the idea. Vegas is a team that would consider the idea. Florida and Carolina would consider the idea. Do teams believe that Armstrong's price will come down, or do teams just realize that if we're going to acquire this player, we're just going to have to pay Doug Armstrong's price because he's mm-hmm. not budging. But there's there's no question like him and Gensel are probably the two top wingers available unless there's somebody I'm missing out there. Another day, another round of rumors on the NHL trade deadline front alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie, and we are broadcasting today live at the NB Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. We have Grant Francis back in the studio for us today in Creve Corps. Alex, the Blues are in a, a pretty rough rut right now. They've lost five of their last six games. If you look at the NHL draft standings as of today, they would be selecting 11th overall. They Woo! have the same points percentage, though, as Seattle, who would be selecting 10th overall. Ah, top 10! Vegas Vegas, Vegas. 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 Sphere. 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 You are all of three points ahead of both, uh, or excuse me, ahead of Buffalo, who is selecting 8th overall. So you are closer to selecting eighth overall as of today than you are to making the postseason. That is an important piece to this puzzle. And it could help to inform the decision that Doug Armstrong is making as we get closer to the NHL trade deadline. My stance has been and continues to be, I don't think you're going to see sweeping changes here in St. Louis at the deadline. I think those are much more likely to happen in the offseason. However... If they are to happen, it's because of that voice that you just heard coming back from break with Elliot Friedman saying that there are four teams specifically that are in the top six forward market. Edmonton, Carolina, Vegas, and Florida. Those teams are highly motivated to get an upgrade because they believe they are in their championship contending window. Here's the problem. You have four teams and two players that are available that fit that criteria. It really is just Jake Gensel, who, by the way, is hurt right now, and Pavel Buchnevich. And that's it. As of today, there are no other players that we are aware of that are made available on the trade market that fit the criteria that these teams are looking for. So, Doug Armstrong can ask for the moon, and he might be able to get it. There was a report today from David Panyota, who will be joining us coming up at 1 o'clock. 
that Martin Nietzsche's name came up in conversations between Carolina and Vancouver when Carolina tried to incentivize Vancouver to trade Elias Pettersson to them. It sounds like that will not happen. It sounds like Elias Pettersson might actually be working his way toward an extension in Vancouver. So that is the latest with where we are at today when it comes to the Pavel Buchnevich trade front. Alex, what is your read on the market and where things stand today for the Blues and for Pavel Buchnevich? This is why the great Kenny Rogers always said, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, fold them when one of these teams are calling you up for Buchnevich. Now, I, the market right now is telling you there are four teams that are getting into the desperation mode of feeling like we got to get a top six winger to solidify ourselves as a Stanley Cup champion. Like, just look at Edmonton on paper. Plug Pavel Buchnevich into their top six and tell me Edmonton wouldn't say, we've got everything we need to win a Stanley Cup. They would. So, Edmonton calling St. Louis, this is why Doug Armstrong has set a price and he's not going beyond it. And I believe the price is, you're sending me something that fills the void of Pavel Buchnevich next season. Top six forward, or you're filling the void, the necessity of us getting a top four defenseman next season. To me, these four teams make the most sense because all four are desperate for that forward. I would take Vegas out of the conversation if I'm Doug. I don't know if Vegas has anything that matches that level of criteria that you need. So for Pavel Buchnevich, just to be clear, you're talking about adding... For the Blues, a top six winger. that can immediately fit into your top six yes. forward-wise. And maybe the production's not there. I mean, I'm not expecting you to get back somebody who could put up 80 points this season. But you're getting somebody who has tasted the NHL or has tasted the AHL and has the potential in a lot of people's eyes to be in a top six role. That's the only way you make this trade. You don't make this trade for a guy who's playing fourth-line minutes in the NHL that was a 10th prospect in the system and get a first-round pick because none of that does you any justice next year, which is probably why Elliot Friedman is saying, like, the price is high for Pavel Buchnevich. Like, let's do this real quick. Carolina Hurricanes. Martin Natchez's name was floated out there, as you mentioned, for Vancouver. You trade Buchnevich for Marty Natchez. Natchez is a restricted free agent this year. He's 25 years old. If Carolina wants one more year of security, they trade Natchez for Buchnevich, and you get a top six winger in return. You get a top six winger in return. That's a hockey trade. Now, does Carolina view that as making them better for a cup run this year? Probably not. Maybe that's an offseason move. But Carolina also has a prospect in their system that is viewed by Scott Wheeler as their best overall prospect, a left-handed defenseman who's in the KHL right now, that they view as a top four, top pair defenseman next season. That's the deal you make. The Edmonton Oilers, I made my proposal yesterday of getting a Dylan Holloway or a Philip Proberg, maybe both. Those guys are top four potential in defense and on offense. Florida has got a guy who's playing in their third line right now that's 22 years old that's making a million dollars. Those are the types of plays you go after and more. And if teams aren't willing to do it, cool. I'll hold on to Booch because I have all of the cards. That's the thing. The Blues are the ones that are in the driver's seat here. If they had a pending UFA in Pavel Buchnevich, like if we get to the same spot next year at this time, we will be having a very different discussion. They got to take whatever teams are willing to give them. That's a first-round pick maybe. Yeah, and yeah. You, you just you take it and you move on and say, well, that sucks. We, we weren't the team that we thought we were going to be. We were hoping for something more. We were hoping to extend him, whatever the case may be. But – that's not where you're at. You've got another year of control, so you can trade him now. You can trade him in the summer. You can keep him. You can extend him. There's a lot of different scenarios 
there is no urgency on the part of Doug Armstrong to make this move today or prior to this year's trade deadline. So teams have to force his hand. If they want him to trade Pavel Buchnevich to their top six, well, then they've got to offer up what the asking price is going to be. And by everybody's considerations, it's really high. It should be. Pavel Buchnevich can help you on the power play. He can help you on the penalty kill. He can play in your top six. He's, by all accounts, a really good locker room guy. Like, there's... There are very few negatives other maybe than like injury risk, but he's only got two years left on his deal, so that's not even a big deal for a lot of these teams that would be taking him on. He fits every team in the NHL, and that's not the case for a lot of guys that are moved at the deadline. Some teams are looking for grit. Some teams are looking for pure goal scorers. Some teams are looking for a centerman that can play on their third line and helps them defensively. Whatever it is that you need as a team, Pavel Buchnevich fits it. So that is why I believe he would fit any of these four teams that we're talking about. Edmonton, Carolina, Vegas, Florida. You need help defensively, he's got you. You need help with a goal scorer, he's got you. You need help with a guy that's going to set up your other 30 to 40 goal scorers. Well, guess what? Buchnevich is capable of doing that as well. I still believe that he will not be dealt. But the Carolina situation especially fits into the criteria of what I think would make sense for the Blues. They've got players that are on their NHL roster that could make sense here. They are also a team that typically is willing to give up something, not for rentals, but for guys that have one more year on their contract. Go look at their cap-friendly page right now, guys. It is a lot of dudes that are playing out the final year of their deal. They are unafraid of going into a season with pending free agents because they set a price and say, if you're not willing to accept what we're offering you right now, fine. Play out the year. We'll get the cap space this offseason, and we'll go find another player yeah. that fits into your cap slot. And they've been really, really good at it over the years. So I think Carolina, to me, is the team that makes the most sense as a trade partner for the Blues if such a deal were to get done. Yeah, and they got a coach that gets the best out of the players, too, which is part of the reason Carolina has had so much success. But... I'm starting to believe a little bit more that they are going to trade Booch at the trade yep. deadline because these teams are getting more aggressive. Like, if if Vegas gets Jake Gensel, I could almost guarantee Edmonton is going to be in desperation mode to get a top six winger, which if that's the case and you're going to get a haul from Edmonton, I, I, I think they've got the pieces that match what they're looking for. If I were to rank these teams in terms of the teams that fans should be most excited about potentially making a trade for Booch, it would be Carolina 1, because I think Marty Natchez, he was rumored and connected with the Blues back when Vladimir Tarasenko was on the market. So this is not the first time that they've been connected. Um, I would put Edmonton 2, because I think if they get desperate, you could get both Holloway and Broberg, and that's a haul for a Pavel Buchnevich. And then I put Florida 3, Florida 3, and Vegas for. I really don't think Vegas has anything other than one of their defensemen on the NHL roster, but in that sense, I don't know why they would want to do that. I think they would have to be ca uh, picks that yeah. are incentivizing I, the Blues. I think if you're going to match what Edmonton and Carolina can offer, you're going to have to give me one of your NHL defensemen and picks, and that's a part that I don't think Vegas is going to want to go to. Maybe, or they prospects plus yeah. picks, and you just go with a pure, like, we're attaining assets for... Buchnevich in this offseason will use our assets to be able to get somebody that we think fits the Martin Nietzsche's or whatever else. Would Which be. is why I think Pittsburgh and Vegas are going to be the better match because sure. Pittsburgh, Kyle Dubas said, I want to get younger. You get younger players that are ready to go in two years. So over on The Athletic earlier today, Jeremy Rutherford had a piece that was titled Trade Deadline Moves or Not, the Blues are proving that this roster needs a lot of work. He goes on to explain how over the last two and a half months, 
we have learned a lot about this Blues team because of the firing of Craig Berube, where they were then, who they are now. Alex, this goes back to what I said earlier this this week uh, with a horrible tone in trying to describe how the Blues aren't all that different of a team right now. Yeah, let's revisit that. The rest of the season. If you look at the shots for and against, the goals for and against, the five-on-five save, all of these different things, the Blues have been the same team all year. There have been a few things that have changed under under Drew Bannister. Most notably, they have become a really good power play after being the worst power play in the league under Craig Bruby. They went from 8% to 25%. That masks over a lot of the issues of, of this team at 5-on-5. They've also gone from getting pretty good goaltending to getting excellent goaltending under Drew Bannister. That also helps to mask some of the deficiencies that this team has. And so he goes on in this piece, JR does, to ask a few questions that I would be curious your answers to, Alex. The first one is, are the problems with the Blues roster even more concerning than when we saw Drew Bannister take over with this roster. Absolutely, because you've gone through two head coaches and you're still having the exact same problems with the exact same players. You're having problems with your top wingers of being consistent and engaged in games. You're having problems in terms of your depth not being able to score specifically at even strength. And I think you're having issues in terms of compete. To me, that's a roster problem, which is what we said when Craig Berube was fired. So the problems are even bigger now because now you don't have a coach that you know can get the best out of the players. That's where I am as well. I think now you've learned that it is a roster problem. And like you said, we we knew that probably at the time when Berube was fired. But because you're not seeing consistent play from a Jordan Cairo, a Pavel Buchnevich, it is concerning. It, it, I think it does raise more questions than it does lead to answers. And to Army's point, Army mentioned it when they at the press conference when they fired Craig Bruby. I don't know what we're going to get out of this team on a nightly basis. They kind of got away from that, but I think that was kind of the new coach bump. Now they're kind of back to it. I don't know what to expect from the St. Louis Blues on a nightly basis. And guess what? Because we know that and see that, other teams see that too, exactly. which makes trading that much harder. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the uh, 314. So you guys think that this is not a situation. or you? What you guys are saying is that firing Chief was the wrong decision? Terrible. No, I'm not saying that at all. I actually think that we've learned um, that the coach was at least part of the problem here in St. Louis, even though I think Craig Berube is a good coach, it had run its course here in St. Louis. What I'm saying is that by doing so, you have learned a lot about your roster. You eliminated that as a variable, as once again, going back to that press conference, Doug Armstrong said he wanted to do. And so now you're getting to the heart of the problem, which is this is a roster that needs a complete overhaul. The next question that uh, JR asks in this, can the Blues still be competitive while they're in this retool, as Doug Armstrong has said that he wants to in the past? Is that something that can happen? Can you still meet the criteria that he wants to with the retool while remaining competitive? I believe you can because there are certain elements that have shown themselves this season. Uh, We talked about it earlier today on Last Minute Blues Podcast because Donnie, very frustrated with the season, as you would imagine. What, Donnie's frustrated? I know. He he said that it feels like it's a lost season. And I said, I don't think so at all. You figured out you've got a goaltender that can carry you to a playoffs in Jordan Bennington. You figured out you've got a top defenseman in Colton Pareko. And you figured out that Robert Thomas is a all-star, superstar caliber player on top of figuring out what Jake Neighbors is. I think you can compete. A lost season would be those guys getting hurt this year. Yes, or a lost season would be those guys failing also. That would be that'd be tough because 
Now you're now you're more rebuild. Now you figured out what you've got. I think Snuggerud and Bolduke by next year can help with that depth of scoring. And if we're going down the path that we're talking about of making significant tra- changes to your forward and your defense, you absolutely can compete next year. And you could probably start seeing the other side of a retool if you make the right moves. Yeah, I I would say that they can still be competitive, and I think it's just because they're goaltending. As much as Robert Thomas has been a a significant step forward, Nick Neighbors has been a great find, and Colton Prickle's number one defenseman, all those those three don't really matter if you don't have great goaltending. And because Bennington and Joel Hofer are playing at such a great level, and they've gone through a little bit of a skid here lately, but they've been fantastic this season. Without those guys, I think you are looking at more of a rebuild, can't remain competitive while you wait for the guys to develop. Because of those two, I think you can still be competitive. Yeah, I, I think you're going to be competitive. I think the problem is, though, are you going to be too competitive? Like, And this is one of the issues of what they have stuck on the, the roster. You're stuck. You're stuck While other teams get contracts. better around you. Exactly. You're stuck with a lot of the contracts because of the no-trade clauses that you've been willing to hand out, and I understand why they did it for many of these guys at the time. I think the defensive core is the original sin, and I think it continues to be the thing that is the biggest issue for the Blues. As much as we talk about the forwards, we do so because there's, there's ways out. There are ways to reconfigure what you have in your forward group. They can trade Kairou. They can trade Buchnevich. They can move things around in their middle six. You don't have that same flexibility with your defensemen. You tried to do it last summer, and Tori Krug, which is his contractual right, said, no, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go to that situation in Philadelphia. You don't have the same flexibility with Justin Falk. You don't have the same flexibility with uh, Nick Letty. You gave those guys long-term contracts with no trade clauses, and that makes things really difficult. So those guys are all fine defensemen. I think all of them right now are playing one step above probably what they should be on a contending team, and they're making a little bit more than what they should be for a contending team. It does feel like, too, though, this season, at least in a bigger chunk than last season, the forwards have been putting the team in a bad spot, which is why I feel like everybody goes to the forwards in terms of where the pucks place, the inability to create any forecheck. Also, just to add to that, are in a... I think the forwards, the expectation should be lower. Oh, absolutely. Just defenseman. like what you say for defensemen, of guys playing up a tick where they they should be, that's the case for, I would say, half of the forwards that are on this roster like, right now. In a best-case scenario, the Blues' top four, when they're good again, is their current top four. That would be the best-case scenario. I don't believe that's going to be the case, but with the forward group, there's like four guys that are in their top nine that I yeah. think is would be expected to be in that part yeah. whenever you're good again. Yeah. So that's that's the big difference to me is I'm I'm expecting something out of this defensive core. That same expectation is not there for the forward, so I, I don't have nearly as big of a problem yeah. with what's going on right now. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. You guys can check us out and get involved in the YouTube chat at youtube.com slash 101 ESPN. STL coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll get to the latest from the NFL combine as today is the day that the quarterbacks are speaking to the media out in Indianapolis, but coming up next, what's the level of concern for your Cardinal starters that appear to be, we'll call it a little behind so far in spring training. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 ESPN. So there are some Cardinal starters that I don't know if it's fair to say that they are behind, but I think it's fair to say that 
they're not quite at the same pace as some of the other pitchers across Major League Baseball, to put what? it mildly. Maybe I should look up how you define behind. Well, and what's pace? Like the, the, Those guys could win in a leg race. There was a piece earlier today on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. It was written by Lynn Worthy, and it was about Steven Matz and how the Cardinals are being, quote, deliberate, end quote, with him throughout the spring. Essentially, they're going to take it easy with him because they're more worried about him being healthy in the regular season than they are him getting all the way ramped up prior to opening day, for example. I understand that, and I don't even necessarily blame them for doing that. I also think it's a bit concerning that you may have Steven Matz in the rotation not at 100% when we get to opening day. Should have expected that one. I also find it to be really interesting the way that they're handling Lance Lynn so far. Guys, do you know how many innings Lance Lynn has pitched in actual organized spring training thus far? I'm going to go big old goose egg because I don't remember that big burly man out there. Big double zero. He has not yet appeared in a spring training game. Now, important to note, he's getting action on the backfields, so it's not like he's not getting work in. He hasn't been shut down. This isn't a situation where there's an injury to be worried about or anything like that, but he's not participating in the games against other major league players, at least thus far. Some veterans prefer it that way. Maybe that's the way that Lance Lynn wants to go about his business. Maybe that's the way that the Cardinals want Lance Lynn to go about his business. But it does mean he's not being tested the same way that he would be if he was going up against major league hitters in spring training early on. So you have two of your five starters that you're building around with Matt and Lynn, who are either not participating in spring training thus far or are by their own admission a little behind the others early on in spring. Alex, it's the first week of spring training. This is not the end of the world. However, I think it is a fair question to ask, what is, on a scale of 1 to 10, your level of concern about these starters not being maybe where we hoped that they would be at this point? Uh, if, if it was if individually my concern for Lance Lynn's probably at like a three or a four. I think if you're Lance Lynn, I don't need to go through the whole thing of spring training. I know what I am. I know what I need to do. I know how long it takes for me to get ramped up. I would anticipate by next week you're going to start seeing him get into a couple of games. They do this with Wayno too, in the final couple of years of spring training. You'd see him one or two times, and that was about it. Um, my concern level with Steven Matz is nine because, <laughs> I mean – Steven Matz has a history of not being healthy and not being able to withstand the longevity of a season. And now we're coming into spring training talking about how he's not ready to go. He's not behind everybody. He's just, you know, coming up the rear. But regardless, he's not pitching on the same time frame as these other guys. And if there's one guy that I think should be getting every opportunity to pitch off the mound at spring training, it's Steven Matz because it hasn't been consistent for them. And... This goes into my concern level of the regular season. I don't think you have a fifth pitcher in this rotation because I don't know what Steven Matz is. I don't know how healthy he's going to be and how long he's going to be there. And now we get talking about the depth, and that's the either, either that's even bigger concern for this Cardinals team. Yeah, so I'm at a zero on the Lance Lynn front just because I, I don't find that one concerning as long as he's throwing in the backfields. and If he's doing that and at some point works his way into Grapefruit League action, then I'm, a, I'm totally fine with that. The 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 Mads one I'm not as concerned as Alex, but I'm probably at like a six right now, and it's not so much health related because they're doing this on purpose. 
the problem now is like you essentially have to go to a six-man rotation to start the year if he's going to be behind the eight ball because now you really need a six starter because Matt's is not going to be able to potentially go six. Like He's typically just a five-inning starter, but there's sometimes the potential that if he's on a good day, he can go six innings. He's going to be probably limited and not be able to go to 90 pitches would be my guess the way he's trending on opening day. And if that's the case, you probably got to go to the six-man rotation so Matt's can continue to build up uh, both on the mound and kind of off to the side. So I'm a little concerned because they don't have the depth for a six-man rotation. And I know they're talking about it, and even if Matt's was on schedule and they claim it's fine, I they don't have the depth for a six-man rotation. They don't have a six-starter that I would trust. I don't yeah. trust Libertor. I kind of trust Thompson, but I would prefer that he go to the minor leagues to start the season. So I think with Matt's being behind schedule, they almost – have to go to a six-man rotation now to start the season, and that just a thins the bullpen out, and b their six starter. Now you have a six starter that like Matthew Libertor, to me not a good major league pitcher. And let's say it's Zach Thompson then, just for the the purposes of the conversation. What that ends up doing is you pull out Matthew Libertor now from your bullpen. He goes down to AAA. Instead, you have Zach Thompson as a part of your major league rotation, which means that your bullpen just got even lighter. You now no longer have that that guy that can go multiple innings, bulk innings in your bullpen if needed at the time that you start the regular season. You have six starters in your rotation, at least two of which now are expected to go with shorter starts. So you're actually putting more of a load on your bullpen with one fewer pitcher inside of that bullpen. So I I find that to be like the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish early in the regular season. If they want... If they want their starters to be able to like have more rest between games, I I think what you just do is you get better starters. And guess what, guys? Oh, back to this. There are pitchers available out there. Michael Lorenzo. If you want to go to a six-man starter We're starting chill. rotation, you know who makes a lot of sense for such a move? Blake Snell. Yeah. Blake Snell makes a lot of sense for such a move. You, you, either by going to that six-man rotation or – by going with a five-man rotation and saying, you know what, Steven Matz, your best role for us is actually going to be in the bullpen. That spot that we have currently carved out for Matthew Liberator, it's actually going to be utilized by Steven Matz. And then when we get into a spot where we need somebody to come into our rotation, either Matz or Liberator or Thompson will fill that role depending on who's pitching the best at that time. So it all comes back to they need that number two starter, man. And they don't have one currently on the roster. And the longer that we get into the to, to spring training with guys apparently being a bit behind, again, nothing alarming. I'm with you guys. It's like at a four in terms of my level of con- concern for these. It, it just adds to the previous level of concern that this rotation is not good enough. You did not do enough to improve it during the offseason. You added innings, which is a meaningful addition to the rotation, but you did not add enough quality at the front end and that's going to rear its ugly head when we get into the regular season. Coming up in 15 minutes, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Ask us anything, sports or otherwise. Get those questions in right now, either on the text line or on the YouTube chat at youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. We'll get to those coming up in just a little bit. But next, NFL Quick Hitters here on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Got your happy price, price line. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. But first, a little bit of an update from Blues Morning Skate. They are not here today. We are at uh, the Centene Community Ice Center. They're down at Enterprise, unfortunately. So oh. we weren't able to, you know, be around while they're doing that. But Close enough. Neither here nor there. Braden Shan, according to Luke Korak, did not skate today. Alex, it was just a maintenance day, according to Drew Bannister. He doesn't foresee him being out tomorrow. Shin is expected to skate in the morning. So we saw the lines earlier today for the rush. Uh that Alexandrov centering a line with Bull Duke and Neighbors, which didn't feel ideal, to put it lightly. They also had Kapanen and Blay skating with the fourth line. So we'll see what things look like tomorrow, but no real reason for concern here. It sounds like Braden Shin's going to be all right. Yeah. Okay, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Guys, there was a bit of news yesterday from the NFL. They are going to be testing out new high-tech optical tracking that will measure first downs. Now, T-Bone, you're a big tennis guy. This is essentially them going to what tennis has been using for, I don't know, 10, 15 years when it comes to whether or not uh, something went in or out of play. That's what they're going to try to do. They're going to test this out at a number of different stadiums across the league. I think it's like five stadiums that are going to be getting this at first. It's probably something that will not be able to be implemented everywhere by week one of the 2024 season. But what this would do is allow them to have a chip that is in the football, which, by the way, is already in the football. That's how we have all of the tracking data. But a chip will be placed into the football, and there will be a tracker at every stadium that allows them to do with the football what baseball does right now with their baseballs, where you know where it's at at all times. So you can then track where the first down marker should be and whether or not they actually reached the yard to gain. Thank God, man. It's about time. <laughs> I can't believe it took this long for the league to get here. You remember the Super Bowl when the Chiefs were almost screwed out of multiple first downs with Travis Kelsey nearly getting there? We finally are about to be in a place where that will not happen any longer. Alex, your reaction? I like it. I, I like any way you can take some of the question marks or gripes about the league makes the game better and for something like this where you're able i mean look you've got the technology to do stuff like this you're able to track this i don't understand how it hurts the game because it takes a lot of the complaining away so i love it yeah i love it too because now you can get more precise locations on where the ball is and then hopefully rather than having to go like to a timeout and we got to go to a replay review to see if the spot was good and then half the time we walk out and we go nah, I don't know shrug emoji and it's just kind of the call stands we can have precision spotting and, and I like that and it doesn't get rid of the job of the linesman because their job's still going to be okay they got to call it when it's close to the uh to the sideline there you know is it a catch still you know they'll still be calling flags on pass interference so if this was like getting rid of their job completely 
I probably wouldn't be as supportive of it. They're still going to have a job to do, so I, I love that they're actually doing this. I think there are two teams right now that have come to the center stage when it comes to the focus of the NFL Combine. One is the Chicago Bears. Everything is revolving around what do you do at number one and what does that mean for Justin Fields. The other team is the Kansas City Chiefs, who are coming off of a Super Bowl victory but have two huge free agents that they have decisions to make with. Chris Jones and Legereus Sneed. All reporting seems to indicate Legereus Sneed will be franchise tagged. The deadline for that is next week. And the team is expecting to come to terms on a long-term extension with Chris Jones. So let's operate under those assumptions for now. Legereus Sneed will be tagged. And in doing so, the Chiefs are expecting to work out some kind of a trade with him. I was listening to one of the insiders yesterday who talked about it, wow. and he said there's a 70 to 80% chance that he believes Legereus Need will be traded prior to this year's NFL draft. Let me ask you, why would you do that? Because you need him, don't you? You need that type of talent in the money. secondary. It's all about money. And How do you a, fill that void? It's tough. It's, it's going to be difficult. Um, you better get if, something good in return. If anybody can do it, it would be... Steve Spagnolo, who's done a really good job at developing and finding new corners and making it work in a system without having stud corners. They do have Trent McDuffie still, who is an all-pro in his own right. So it's not going to be easy. But this was the other part that I found interesting. You said you got to get something good in return. They said they don't expect the return to be of significance. They wow. think it'll be something like a second-round draft pick in return for Legereus Need. For Kansas City, that's significant, though. I mean, they could make they can make magic with a second-round draft pick. Who do you think is the team that makes the most sense for him? If that is indeed what it's going to take to get him, who do you think is the team that stands out as they should be trading a second-round pick for Legereus? I mean, it's one of two teams, and pick your poison. It's Houston or Detroit. I would go with Houston because I think I – it's. Both teams are my favorites right now, but I think I would go Houston because you know you got that quarterback. You know you've got the offense. The defense actually held up pretty well last year. You just need that one more piece. But, I mean, Legereus Need goes to Detroit. They're a Super Bowl contender in my eyes. That's a good one. That's where I am. Uh, to me, it's Detroit. Their secondary is awful. Like, they have to upgrade the secondary. And I think they're going to have to explore looking at long-term contracts, look for guys that are going to have to sign to those kind of deals, go to the draft as well. Sneed's the best corner that's going to be on the market. So I, I think they're the team that is going to go all in and push for him. And if it's not them, I, I, I think the Rams are going to be another team that's going to be heavily invested in him. That makes a lot of sense as well. I, I don't know that they will for sure do something like this, but the Falcons, to me, make a lot of sense. If they're going to try to push up for a quarterback in the first round, I could see them doing something like this. A buddy texted me this the other day. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are. It's kind of in the Buchnevich conversation that we've had where it's do you prefer the draft pick or do you prefer the player? If the Falcons called you and said, hey, we'll trade you Kyle Pitts for Legereus Sneed. Oh. And on the other side, you've got an offer from, let's call it Detroit. They're, that's your best option, and they have the 61st overall pick in the second round. So you can get either the 61st pick or Kyle Pitts. Oh, I'm taking Kyle Pitts. What do you prefer if you're the Chiefs? I'm taking Kyle Pitts. I mean, I don't know how many more years I got of Travis Kelsey, especially with the Taylor Swift swoon. He's probably gone after this year. Wouldn't you love to have the next tight end work under Travis Kelsey for a full season? Plus, you got a two tight end package now with those two guys and Patrick Mahomes. I, I would do Kyle Pitts. Because you could still go out there and get another wide receiver and have a ton of weapons for once. See, I, I would take the pick because I, I don't think you need two legitimate tight ends right now. And look, I understand that you have to kind of work with load management for Travis Kelsey right now at this point in his career, 
But I, th- I thought, uh, who's their backup? Noah Gray, right? He's fine. I, I thought he was fine last year. And I think that's all they need. If they get a number one wideout, you don't really need a tight end to really be behind Travis Kelsey. I'd use that pick that you get and use it on something that you're going to need, like a cornerback, for example. Or a tackle. Or a tackle. Yeah, like that's the route that I would go because I wouldn't worry about the tight end spot until Kelsey is actually gone. All right, let's continue down this discussion then. If you're the Chiefs and you have to choose one of these four players to use your money on this offseason, who are you guys paying? It's like 15 to $18 million, something in that range on a per-year basis. Legereus Need, Calvin Ridley, Tyron Smith, the former offensive tackle of the Cowboys. He's open and available this offseason as a free agent. Or Saquon Barkley. You get one of those four players and you're paying them same around amount of money? $15 million, let's say. It's roughly the same. Sneed, Ridley, Smith, or Barkley. Who do you want on the Chiefs? I, I paid Sneed. I, I don't. I'm not paying Saquon that money. I'm not paying a, a left tackle that money, especially one that I'm not sure if he's going to be able to stay healthy for me. And, and I mean, I, I get the Calvin Ridley, but I feel like you could get a wide receiver probably comparable to what Calvin Ridley is with the Chiefs for less. I would much rather pay a cornerback that I know is a stud for fifteen million dollars. I just want a Super Bowl with this roster. I, I think I'm with Alex. I, I would go after. I would pay Snead. I, I don't think I'd give Ridley that money. I think you're right. I think you could get something equal to or better for less. Um, Tyron Smith's interesting, but he's getting up there. He's 33 years old, and I've seen how quick that can go for tackles. So that one would be a little alarming. I, I would say it's need because with Spagnuolo and his creative blitz packages, we talked about this going into the Super Bowl. When you have lockdown corners, it allows you to do so much with the in terms of what you can do on blitzing. If you don't have good corners, you have to essentially just stick with a four-man rush. And I, I think with Snead, it really opens up the creativity for Spagnola. I think it's Snead as well. If I said Sneed, Mike Evans, Tyron Smith, or Saquon Barkley, Mike Evans isn't a Hall of Famer, so Sneed. Does that change your conversation? Does that change your answer? Mine would. I'd go. I'd go get Mike Evans. I'd finally just give another comparable receiver to to Patrick Mahomes, and hope I can do what I just said about Calvin Ridley. Ridley on the secondary. Oh man, I, I think I'd still go Sneed, and I, right. I really like Mike Evans. But you know what? I just saw Patrick Mahomes win without a number one wide receiver. A damn super. I, I would not want to do that. I, I'm 100% with you. <laughs> they but just I'm got rid of one of his best weapons in MVS. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with you. But I think it because of what Patrick Mahomes showed this year, I think you can continue to go with like smaller value deals in the wide receiver room. See if you can hit on a smaller deal at, at wideout. Or even continue to just throw darts at the dartboard in the draft and see if you hit. They yeah. basically have been doing that. Think to Sky yeah, Moore, it, it went Rasheed horribly. Rice. It went horribly. Rice has been fine. Like that, That's good. a win. That, the Outside of that, is, it's been bad. Yeah, you, you tried it with McCall Hardman. Well, at least you, you got tried him. it with Sky Moore. You tried it with Kadarius Toney. You tried going the, the bargain bin route with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You've tried this with a lot of different dudes. And what it's amounted to is, yes, a Super Bowl victory, but also a season in which your offense looked broken. I can't do that again. If if Mike Evans is truly available, and we'll see what happens there, I think that's the guy well, you The go good get. news is Michael Hartman's going to give all the scouting Dude, reports on other teams What is Chiefs. going on? I don't blame him. I'd do the same thing. If you, if you let me play for you and you cut me, yeah, I'm going to give your plays away to the other team. I see nothing wrong with that. All right, final thing. We'll get out of here with this. Darius Robinson, Mizzou defensive tackle yesterday, went through his workout at the NFL Combine. And depending on how you look at it, it was either excellent or horrible. <laughs> so he was six foot five, 285 pounds. That is huge for a defensive end. Or it's incredibly small for a defensive tackle. 
if you look at him as a defensive end, he was slow as hell, man. My dude ran a 4.9540 yard dash. We don't need to run context, in football. If you're a really good defensive end and you're looking for big time speed, like 4.7 range is what you're kind of looking at. As a defensive tackle, though, it was elite. That is some big time speed. So you're either looking at Darius Robinson as a elite level athleticism for a defensive tackle with really small frame or a really slow defensive end with a huge frame how do you think this plays into his draft stock if you're an nfl team i mean if i if i am in need of a defensive tackle i'm going for that guy as quick as possible i mean you know he's big i I get that the numbers aren't great off of the edge i'll use you as a defensive tackle and guess what if i want to get you to be a defensive edge to where i have to use your speed more we work on it we get some time in but at least for the first season i know i'm getting an elite dude as a defensive tackle i would i would pounce on it you said his speed was elite for a defensive tackle like who are the guys that would like fit into his criteria vince wilfork but that's smaller (laughs) that's smaller so deforest buckner for the colts former san francisco 49ers is pretty similar in terms of his frame if you're looking for another guy charles aminihue is like almost the exact same size the way that the chiefs used him this year inside and out it would probably be a similar role for what you're talking it, about. It seems Eric like if Robinson. you're drafting him as a defensive tackle, you're drafting him in a, in a four-person frontline set to where you don't have to use him solely as the, the pressure. You've got to have a plan for him, and this is where yeah. it makes it very scheme-specific. If you're not a team that uses your defensive lineman inside and out, you probably don't want to draft a guy like Darius Robinson. I do think what happened yesterday probably hurts his overall stock. I think there are fewer teams that are willing to use guys like this. So if previously he was a mid-first-round pick, I would think like a team like Detroit would maybe be interesting for him. I think Baltimore could be a great spot for a guy like Darius Robinson. I think he's now going to be probably a late first-round pick. San Francisco, honestly, makes a lot of sense with the way they they utilize their guys. Late first round feels about right for a guy like Darius Robinson. It seems like a Detroit pick. Yeah, and and I'm with you. That's why I asked that question because I was trying to think of, like, smaller statue defensive tackles that were kind of quick, and there weren't a ton that were coming to my mind. And that's why I think, like, when you look at that, I think it does hurt him, and I think you're 100% spot on. It almost has to be scheme-specific to where guys are willing to put him on the outside but also have him on the inside at times. He is Tanner Hendrickson. That is Alex Ferrario, and I'm Brandon Kiley. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Plenty more NFL coming up in the 12 o'clock hour as well, including what does Chicago do with Justin Fields if they hit a roadblock with other teams looking for other options before they're interested in him? We'll get into that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But next, ask us anything, sports or otherwise, here on 101 ESPN. To the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Driven by Offenburg Kia in the St. Clair Auto Mall in Shiloh off I-64. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. The YouTube chat is off and running in the graveyard over at youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL as well. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, get them in right now. For a segment we like to call Ask Us Anything, it's very different than our typical segment of questions and answers. It is only on Fridays. From Ryan the Mailman, Alex, does Doug Armstrong retain 50% salary on Buchnevich for this season and next to possibly get a better return? Thanks and go Blues. I think you should consider it. I, I don't know why you wouldn't right now, especially if a team is tight with cap. Like, you don't have to retain any salary with Carolina because 
They've got cap space. You wouldn't have to retain much with Florida. They've got cap space. But if you want to deal with Edmonton, I'd retain 50% and tell them, cool, you're sending me more. You're sending me a lot more in this return because it's $2.5 million next year that you'd be on pace for. That's Casperi Capitan money that you're just going to let walk out. And you fill that with a Jimmy Snuggerud or a Zach Bolduke. But the return is going to have to be what I told you guys yesterday plus more. Yeah, I, I think you have to consider it because otherwise we, we talk about this becoming a bidding war. That's like the best case scenario for Doug Armstrong is this becomes a bidding war. Well, if you don't retain salary, you just cut out some teams from this bidding war like Edmonton, for example. So would he be willing to do it? I think so. Just that way he can have more options into your point about next year. Like I'm being honest with you guys. I don't think they're going to be a cap team next year. The cap's going up. I'm not necessarily sure the Blues are going to spend in the cap. So if that's oh, the I'm case, with you. who cares about the $2.5 million that's just going to be on the books? I think Tom Stillman's going to be like, look, we, we can't spend to the cap. Until we can start getting some playoff revenue, we can't now give them credit. They have spent to the cap since the moment Tom Stillman stepped through those yeah. doors. But if, if this team is still in the middle of a retool and this retool looks more on the bottom floor than it does the, the middle of the building, then I think you have to look at it and say, yeah, we, we can't afford to spend to the either, cap. By no. the way. I wouldn't blame it. Now, they're back to competing and they're not spending to the cap? Okay, now it's a different conversation. Right. Now, to be fair, there's there's not a lot of money that they can move off of uh, going into next year. Like, yeah, I mean, they only got like $8 million they, in cap space with the stuff going off. They might be a cap team because they might have to be a cap team because of the contracts that they already have on the books. They've just got a lot of long-term deals. That's something that Army talked about going into last offseason was he was asked, hey, are you guys going to be a cap team? He said, well, yeah, that's the expectation. And I think it was to Frank's who said, you kind of have to be, don't you? Like, yeah. It's kind of hard not to be a cap team for you. So um, that, that is part of the equation there as well. I'm always in favor of retaining salary if you can because it allows you to get in return. You're just maximizing what another team's willing to pay. Like if somebody's willing to take on Kevin Hayes, the Blue should absolutely retain half of his salary. It's $1.75 million and it might get you an extra second round pick. Yeah, do that. <laughs> That's a smart thing to do because you get a pick that is much more meaningful than you would otherwise get in return for him. Same thing would be true for Pavel Buchnevich or Brandon Saad or one of your defensemen. Like, Do what is necessary to get the best return possible. And if that means for the next couple of years, while you're in the midst of a retool, you're retaining $3 million for one of these guys, so be it. So yeah, I would absolutely do that. Uh, from the 314, guys, what is your favorite breakfast restaurant? <laughs> uh, mine's the Shack, but I don't get to go That's there. I don't wake up early enough to go to breakfast, and then when I do, it's like, oh, we're just going to eat at home today. Wait, so you don't wake up early enough to eat breakfast, but you hate brunch, don't you? Aren't you the one yeah, that Yeah, I hate brunch? brunch. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it does. I just wake up. I mean, we wake up. Wouldn't that be exactly what you would no, want? I just you eat don't lunch. wake up on time yeah, I, for I, I would love food, but I wait till lunch like a normal adult. I don't need to eat brunch. That's smart. And when I say I don't wake up early enough for breakfast, I'm talking like I wake up at 8.30 instead of 7.30, and You're breakfast ridiculous. is, let's eat an oatmeal bar. I don't know if I have a like go to like a favorite spot for breakfast. My favorite spot I've ever been to, I can't McDonald's. Uh, no, uh, was a place in Columbus. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. Hangover, Hangover Easy. I'd like to know this because I'm going Hangover there in two Easy. weeks, dude. It was fantastic. Okay. Best breakfast I've ever had Good was to at know. A, like a, it was like an old style like breakfast bar where it had like the bar counter in it too. Um, I that was the favorite my the best breakfast I've ever had was at that Columbus restaurant. Good to know. I'm writing that down. We went to a place in Austin called Laundrette. It used to be a laundromat and now it is made into a breakfast spot. It was amazing. Absolutely incredible. Um cool spot as well just because took an old laundromat to turn it into a restaurant which is kind of a unique idea that would be one of my favorites i've ever been to here in st louis though a uh, spot that we go to 
I guess, semi-regularly. We do go to the shack, kind of like you guys do, Alex. Um, there, there's a spot in Benton Park, Benton, Benton Park Cafe. Oh, yeah. It's a pretty good spot as Katie well. Katie had a friend that worked there that we, we, we would go occasionally when we were dating. Yeah, so uh, there's a few different good spots uh, around town as well. Guys, if the Cardinals are 15 to 20 games, or excuse me, 10 to 15 games below 500 at the deadline, do you think that they would consider trading Nolan Arenado to the Dodgers? Yeah, I think they would basically be told, hey, you're trading me to the Dodgers because that's the cards that Nolan Arenado holds. And they, I, I believe he's giving them a grace period of about three months to show that they're competitive. And if they don't show it, Arenado's going to want out. I, the tough part with Arenado is it's going to be so limited in what your return is going to be that I don't know if the Cardinals will do it. Like, I, I think if you're the Cardinals, Arenado can cry, whine, and do all, all he wants about being traded. The Cardinals don't have to trade him. Like I would. They, they may say it's best for them to hold on to him because the return's not going to be good because he's going to dictate where he's going. The money is. The money's leaving, and that allows you a lot of flexibility in the offseason. So if I'm 10 to 15 games below 500 at the deadline, it has proven that this this construction has not worked, and yes, I would trade him to the Dodgers. And I know that means you're probably not getting a ton back in return. It's going to be maybe not the same as what the Rockies had to do, sending him here to St. Louis in terms of eating $50 million. But if they're willing to take on his salary, I think it's something you absolutely have to explore. And if that means getting one of their young starters in return, I think you probably do it. It sucks, but I think that's probably something that you have to at least consider if you're you're the Cardinals. What a freaking juggernaut they will be with Shohei, Arenado, Freddie Friedman, and Mookie Betts. Well, it's not going to happen because the Cardinals aren't going to be 10 to 15 games. No, okay. Yeah, because you're feeling the good vibes from this camp this year. They were playing golf today. Coming up next, we are beginning our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2024 season. We begin at number 20 with one player on the roster who I believe is truly entering a crossroads season. We'll tell you who that is next year on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The 20 most important Cardinals for the 2024 season. Number 20, Dylan Carlson. Smoke to center, Robles drifting back, warning track, wall, goodbye. Wow, a line drive homer for Dylan Carlson. In the air towards center, Trout retreating to the warning track, still going at the wall. It carries out! A home run for Carlson! And just like that, the Cardinals are back in front. We are beginning our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2024 season. Alex, the way that I view this is a very simple thing. 
if this player reaches their ceiling, what does that mean for the Cardinals to win the World Series? And if this player doesn't reach that, what does that mean for the Cardinals and their quest to win a World Series in 2024? For Dylan Carlson at number 20 on our list, the best case scenario is that he takes this job that he is currently having an opportunity to win in center field and runs with it. He becomes the guy that they thought he could be last year. He's a averaged plus defender in center field, depending on how you view him. He's really good at basically everything, not necessarily great at any individual thing, but a switch hitter who can bat towards the bottom of your lineup, is cost-controlled for years to come, and he makes good on the promise of what John Mosellock said when he said you could pry that guy from my cold dead hands. That is best-case scenario for Dylan Carlson. I do think this is a crossroads type of a season for them, him, though, and I think it actually ends up working out really well for him that Tommy Edmond is currently injured because he's going to get a long runway, potentially even into the regular season, of being the guy. There have been fans that have complained about Dylan Carlson not having enough of an opportunity over the last few seasons. I would push back on that. I think most of that is because he's been hurt. I don't think it's the Cardinals' fault that he isn't getting those opportunities. He's been bad or injured for the vast majority of the past two seasons. But if he goes out there and performs again this year the way that he has over the last two years, it's done. We are no longer talking about Carlson as a legitimate starting option for you. He would be put back into that role of, hey, he's a fourth outfielder, and let's see how that works out for the Cardinals. Alex, what do you view as being what's at stake for Carlson going into this season? I, I look at this as, as an opportunity to kind of reset the table for his career because the last two seasons, I think Dylan Carlson has entered, well, he's nothing more than a fourth outfielder for the team and maybe in Major League Baseball. The defense isn't anything special. The offense isn't anything special. Base running's not anything special. Like you said, he doesn't really do anything great, so who are you? And for this Cardinals team, and specifically Dylan Carlson, the reason I had him on this list was because I view the fourth outfielder very important this season. We're seeing it right now with Tommy Edmond. Injuries are going to happen. You'll lose Lars Newtbar for a little bit. You'll probably lose a Jordan Walker for a little bit. And Dylan Carlson's going to be the go-to guy. Last year, Tyler O'Neill started as the third outfielder and became the fourth outfielder and was never available. Richie Palacios took the job from him. I miss him. Me too, man. Me too. You shouldn't have traded him. But Dylan Carlson... He would be your starting center fielder going into Palacios, absolutely. Yeah, but no, then you wouldn't have Andrew so Kittridge. So, like, you know, you got to toss him up there a little bit. But for Dylan Carlson, this season, your impact on this squad is going to be when the injuries pop up, can you... Can you take the job and hold on to it for a sustained time to where other, other, everybody in the organization says, well, what happens when this guy comes back? Like what we were doing with Matt Kessel, Dylan Carlson has the opportunity to do that. So I, I do feel like it's going to be impactful, but the flip side of that, you fall back into the fourth outfielder, fifth outfield, outfielder category if you don't take advantage of this opportunity. Yeah, and, and I, the reason I had him on the list was because of that fourth outfield that you talk about, because they need somebody to be a fourth outfielder, because we know there's going to be days off for Jordan Walker while they're working with him on his defense during the season. We know that Newpar has dealt with injuries. Tommy Emmon coming off of an injury going into spring training, and honestly, they need to get him days off, because I feel like they've run him into the ground in all of his full seasons, to where he's pay, playing like 150 games. So they're going to have to have somebody that can come off of the bench be a league average to slightly above league average outfielder and play solid defense for him. I, I, the reason I didn't put him higher on my list and was willing to say like his ceiling is he can help this team out and be in the starting lineup is because I just don't think he's good enough defensively center field to be there for 162 games. But he can be a solid guy that can go out there, be, I would say, 
a above average defender in the corners when he comes off the bench and be average in center field. And if he hits his offensive ceiling, well, that means he's hitting against righties. He's hitting against lefties. Maybe gives you a pinch hit opportunity if you need it late in the game. But that gives him at least a guy that you feel comfortable throwing in the lineup, and they are going to need a fourth outfield. And for those that are new to this, maybe you didn't listen to the show last year, the year before, where we do our 20 most important Cardinals list. Each of us put together our list individually of the 20 most important Cardinals. And then we all come together and we average them out. And that is how we come to the show's final ranking of the 20 most important Cardinals. For full transparency, Alex did not have Dylan Carlson as a member on his 20 most important Cardinals list. T-Bone had Dylan Carlson at number 20 on his list. I was actually the highest, surprisingly enough, of the three. I had him at number 18 on my list of the 20 most important Cardinals. I would not have had the... I would not have had him there three weeks ago. The Tommy Edmond injury is what has changed this for me in a significant way. We all know how important the early portion of this season is for the Cardinals heading into this year. And if Dylan Carlson is not at least above average as a player for you, I think that is a serious issue going into the season. Because I'm not at this point, I'm not expecting Tommy Edmond to be ready for opening day and I think Dylan Carlson is going to be your opening day starter in center field that means he is a hugely important player over the first month of the season which might be the most pivotal month of Cardinals baseball I'm not trying to place too much importance of it but I think it's true in the last 20 years we very well may see Carlson as one of your starting nine players in the most pivotal month of the season that the Cardinals have had in the last 20 years of of their history so yeah that dude is going to be a member of my 20 most important Cardinals list, and he comes in for us at number 12. Well, I forgot that I didn't put him on my top list, which makes a lot of sense because I didn't know where to put Dylan Carlson. And frankly, I going back into my mindset when I was putting this list together, I probably didn't put him on here because I look at it as I believe when somebody comes back from injury, that's about it for Dylan Carlson. I and, did. I mean, I can't bank on injuries and I think Brennan Donovan's going to get some reps in the outfield when and, Tommy Edmonds back. And the other thing for me, and the reason that, like, though I have concerns about Tommy Edmond, and I truly believe he's beginning the year on the IL, is I I don't know the severity of the injury. Like, if this is just, like, he's there on the IL to start the year for 10 days, two weeks, okay, Carlson, like, I don't even know if he could do enough in that two-week stretch to hold that job. He gets a month runway, though, to your point. Like, Carlson is the guy in the most pivotal month of the year for them, in the most pivotal season in 20 years. He would have been a lot higher on my list, but with that uncertainty around sure. Edmund, I just couldn't put him any higher. What changes for this team if Dylan Carlson is for them this season what he was in 2021 when he finished third in the Rookie of the Year voting? That year, he hit 265 and finished with an OPS plus. 100 is league average. Anything above that is that percentage above league average. 15% above league average. Hit 18 home runs that year with 65 RBIs. If he is that player for the Cardinals in 2024, that means blank for the team, Alex. That means that this team becomes a favorite in the NL Central, I think, if he gets to that point. Because it changes. I mean, it. To He's me, probably batting eighth and doing that. For it, you. Absolutely. But the way I look at it as I, I don't. I, I'm so uncertain with Tommy Edmond right now. Like, I know the defense is good, but, like, what are you offensively? You're kind of the same thing as Dylan Carlson. You're a one-trick pony, and how good is that going to be? I think he's worse than that version of Dylan Carlson. Probably. But then, like, the next part is Alec Burleson, and I don't know what your bat is, and I don't think your defense is any good. So, like, if that's the Dylan Carlson you're getting, your team's taking another step to the point that I don't look at it as, well, it's wide open, the NL Central. I think if you add a Dylan Carlson to that mix, you start to see 
areas that you're like, okay, this team is better than everyone else. I don't even know if it's so much with his bat. Like, is his defense taking the next step? Let's say it's this? average. Then I, I don't know if it helps. The, like, I'm not sure what that does for But Charles. you saw that he, bat the year that he was great. I mean, that bat was a difference maker I, I, for him. The reason I say that is, like, if he's hitting eighth, I don't know if they need a lineup one through eight that's deep. Like, it's great, but one through seven is pretty good. And if Edmund is better defensively in center field, they're going to have a serious question to raise of, okay, what do we value more? Do we need to remain defensive focused with Edmund in center field? Or do we have to go with Carlson out there? Maybe they say they go with Carlson, and it, it does raise do the ceiling too. a little bit. I think the hopium is the I, other reason why you're going with I don't them. know if it raises the ceiling a ton, though. I, I really don't. I, I think they need a, a defensive-minded center fielder out there. I think anytime you can expand that lineup and make it dangerous, especially the 8 or 9 hole, that's where a team becomes even as more lethal. As long as he's not a liability. If yeah. he's a liability defensively in then center that's field, a different, that changes yeah. the conversation. But if we say he's at least average to above average, let's say above average, because I think that's fair. I the, my talk about Dylan Carlson's defense in center field has very little to do with him being bad. I don't believe that. I think he's like slightly above average out there, maybe average. I think Tommy Edmond is like borderline gold glove capable in center field. And that's where the gap exists. And when they're similar offensively, which they have been over the last two seasons, well, I'm going to weigh that defense pretty heavily in favor of Tommy Edmond. It's why I think he should and will be the starter for you. If, though, I'm getting this version, the 2021 version of Dylan Carlson, he's your starter in center field. The other thing about this, it's important for years to come. It's not just important for right now. He is now my starter in the outfield for the foreseeable future in center field, most likely, with him, Newt, and Jordan Walker as my three established starters out there. And Tommy Edmond just fills in nicely as a utility guy up the middle. I think it means my to fill in the blank for me, what does it mean if Dylan Carlson gets back to his 2021 form? It means you've got a top five offense in Major League Baseball. Because now we're talking about one through eight, you being at least above average in basically every single spot in the order. That is something that maybe one, two other teams in Major League Baseball can claim. That dude is a linchpin at the bottom of your order to potentially have that kind of ceiling. I think Tommy Edmond is more than fine as a starting center fielder that is an average to slightly below average bat. Dylan Carlson getting back to 2021 form, though, it changes some things to me with your offensive ceiling. And maybe that defense is back because I just looked at this because I was curious. In four seasons in center field, according to baseball reference, he's actually a plus seven in defensive run saved in the center field. Last year he was a minus four. Maybe that was because of the the uh, ankle and foot injuries that he was dealing with. So maybe that was the big reason for that. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That is Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you guys want to participate, I'm going to be going in reverse order on your 20 most important players list over on Twitter at BK Sports Talk. Which player to you is the most important player for the Cardinals in 2024? As we go down our list, we'll go up your list. And at the end, We'll find out what the fans list of the 20 most important Cardinals is going into 2024. And we'll be able to compare that to the list that we came up with as well. So vote on that over on Twitter as well. Your four options today, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Sonny Gray, or somebody else. You can specify that in the comments uh, over on Twitter. I hope somebody says Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter, Matt Carpenter, Matt Carpenter. Crawford. 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 <laughs> did you see that he's already taken over as the DJ in the clubhouse? Of course he I has. Did of course that. he has. Nolan Arenado's buddies are going to dominate that clubhouse this season. I actually kind of like it. I, there's a really good piece over on uh, The Athletic today from the San Francisco angle of what it meant for him to not be a part of their clubhouse this year. 
It does seem like he was a really important piece of what they had yeah. in the clubhouse culture okay. uh, in recent. So seasons. when this team like loses ten in a row to open up the season, we'll be like, "Well, oh, Brandon Crawford just hey, must man. not be clicking right now." Great guys, great guys in the clubhouse. That's what they've added this offseason. Coming up next, should the Blues still be searching for a pairing partner for Colton Pareko, or do they have their long term mate with Nick Letty? We'll talk about it next year on One Hundred and One ESPN. To the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So, should the Blues be searching for a pairing mate for Colton Pareko, or do they have the right guy already in place with Nick Letty? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. This is a conversation that they had yesterday on the fast lane. I, I found it to be really interesting because the way that it was presented to them, I think it was part of their sports six pack, and somebody asked, like, hey guys, should the Blues be looking to upgrade from Nick Letty in their top four, basically? And Jamie's opinion of it, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but was basically like, I think people underestimate how good Nick Letty has been for the Blues this season. And I think there is some truth to that. Like, Nick Letty has mostly been fine. If Nick Letty is in your top four, I don't think you're necessarily in a terrible place, honestly. Like, you you look at some of the numbers that he's put up. Pareko and Letty, for example, are the only NHL pairing defensively this year that have spent at least 900 minutes on the ice together. And if you look at the matchups that they're going up against on a night-in, night-out basis... They are eating 20-plus minutes and going up against the top line for a good majority of those minutes. So trying to look into any of the analytics is really difficult to do because it's not taking into account, okay, what is the competition that they're going up against? So, Alex, when I ask you that question, is Nick Letty the long-term answer, really the next three years, for Colton Pareko, or do you believe that they should still be searching for an upgrade from, from him for Colton Pareko? How do you feel about that right now? I think if you are a team that believes you're middling for the next couple of years, then Nick Letty's the fine partner for Colton Pareko. But if you have a higher ceiling for yourself and want to um, succeed and accomplish anything in terms of playoff chase, getting into the playoffs within the next three years, I think you need to find a different partner. And, I mean, I'm not the only one. So, uh, on The Athletic, they did an article talking about the top pairs and how they rank in terms of the National Hockey League, and Pareko and Letty were towards the bottom, and this is what this uh, Shana Goldman had to say about Colton Pareko. Pareko's put together a strong bounce-back season, even though the surface-level numbers may not reflect it. He plays like a two-way workhorse on the top pair. It's a shame that he doesn't have more help. Pareko lacks a true top pair caliber partner. He's mostly played with Nick Letty. That's from The Athletic. And then Jay Fresh and I were going back and forth yesterday. Uh, and if you don't know who Jay Fresh is, analytics guy on uh, on social media, he put the player card out for Colton Pareko and said, is an interesting player. He's huge, skates beautifully, defends well, big shot, carries the puck in the transition more than anybody else, but he's not a driver of offense and the Blues don't have the right partner for him. I think if you're a team that wants to be chasing one of the final wild card spots and just get into the playoffs, I, I think you're fine there. But I believe if you go out there and find a partner who can play on the same playing level as Colton Pareko in terms of workhorse, driving offense, being a two-way player, uh, I brought up Noah Hannafin's name, I brought up Jacob Chikrin's name. Heck, if you would have pulled the tray off with Philly and Travis Sanheim, I think people are talking differently about this top pair. I view Nick Letty, and I'm not taking anything away from him. I think Nick Letty's been great this year compared to what the expectations were. 
I think Nick Gluddy's ceiling for this team is a second-pair defenseman playing 15 to 18 minutes a night while you go out there and find a workhorse to play with Colton Pareko. I think the problem for the Blues is similar to what they have with their forwards where everybody's kind of being asked to be a little bit more than they probably should be. Like, Pareko as a number one defenseman, is it ideal? No, but I think he can play that. Um, After that, everybody else is one step too high. It's that Peter principle. I think Justin Falk at this point in his career, at least the way that he's played this year, is probably more of a third-pairing defenseman than he is a second-pair defensively. I think Tory Krug, we've been talking about this for three years now, is probably best served in the third-pairing defensive role where he's just getting a ton of time on the ice with your power play. I think Nick Letty is a really nice second-pairing defenseman when you've got a good right-handed partner that is capable to play alongside him. The problem is you don't have the roster to do those things right now. Like You don't have anybody that can be that partner with Pareko that would push the rest of them down into a lesser role. And if you did, now you're paying $6.5 million potentially to third-pairing defensemen with one of Krug or Falk being bumped down to that third-pairing defensively. And that becomes really difficult as well. There's just no easy answers here. You need to trade one of Krug or Falk. That's not an easy thing to do. And you need to find somebody that can fill in capably alongside Pareko. And this gets back to the conversation that we've had with Army a number of times. What do you want from that role? Yeah. Do you want a guy that is a stay-at-home defenseman? Do you want a guy that's going to get get up and help you with the offensive structure? Like, what do you want next to Pareko? It worked really well when you had Pareko with Jay Bomeister, and they were just in that true shutdown role defensively. Is that what he is now? At this point in his career, or is Pareko more of that shutdown defenseman now, and you need an offensive driver that's next to him? Depending on how you feel about the answer to that question, that should influence who you're looking to acquire to put next to him. Well, and, and let's look at let's look at the product and what Pareko does well. And I think what Pareko is great at is zone exits. I think when the puck is on his stick and he skates through the neutral zone it is very difficult to find players that keep up with him. Colton Pareko is not an offensive producer. Colton Pareko is a defenseman that you want on the other side of the ice, closing things down, but he has a booming shot. I think Colton Pareko is that two-way defenseman that has the speed to, to, to play up into the rush, but also can get back and shut things down. He is a lot like what Jay Bomeister was. I think you got to find an offensive driver to play with Colton Pareko. And I don't believe Nick Letty is that. I think you see a guy like Jacob Chikrin. It's the guy we've talked so much about. Is he great defensively? Probably not. I would say he's probably a slight better version of Nick Letty. But you know what he's awesome at? Keeping the puck alive in the offensive zone so you don't have to keep going back and forth. That's where Jacob Chikrin comes into play. I think Noah Hannafin is that guy. I think when you look at where the Blues are at, You need to have somebody who can play 20-plus minutes a night, somebody who can help keep plays alive in the offensive zone, but also can assist Colton Pareko in that zone exits that they have to do. I also believe you need size with Pareko. Take advantage of having a dude who's 6'5 on the ice. Why were Pareko and Bomeister so good? Because teams didn't have any space with those two on the ice. You've been playing with tinier guys with Colton Pareko. Post-Jay Bomeister, Marco Scandella was good with Colton Pareko. It's just Scandella ran into the injuries and you never got back to his old form. So I look at this and say, I need size and I need somebody who can keep the play alive in the offensive zone as his pairing mate. Yeah, it, it's just hard to find those guys. Yeah. Like, it is. Finn is one of those guys. But- Sandheim was that guy. I mean, Sandheim was that guy from Philly. You nearly had that deal. And trying to acquire a new one is going to be remarkably difficult, very, especially when very you're much trying so. to find one that is... Because this is the part you don't want to waste the years 
of a Colton Pareko. Like right. we like we we were talking in the commercial break. Like, do we really feel like this team can be competitive in the next few years? Isn't this just a rebuild? I think if the right roster moves are taken place, and sometimes that's easier said than done, but if the right roster moves are made, you know you have a elite goaltender a top-pairing defensively, a defensive player. You have an elite skater in Robert Thomas. Now it's just finding the, the complementary pieces. I think you're filling two holes right now. You're trying to find a game-changer on the wing with Robert Thomas, and you're trying to find another defenseman that can match the same level of play as Colton Pareko. Yeah, it, it's, it's hard to find, and I, I, don't, I don't know that they're going to be able to. It's tough. Like I, I think finding that top, top line forward is an easier ask, and it's a hard one, than it is to find a top pair defensive. Because there's more of them. I think think you you hope that you could find it in a younger player. Um, This this Nachushkin from Carolina, he's a 21-year-old left-handed defenseman that's in the KHL right now. He's viewed as a top pair defenseman. I always go back to the deal that Tampa Bay made when they traded Jonathan Druin to... um, to Montreal, because Druin looked like a guy that Montreal was like, we need this guy. Yep. They traded him for a young Mikhail Sergachev. Nobody knew much about him. They were like, hey, he's a good prospect, but we don't know. They got Sergachev, and he was a top-pair defenseman for them within the next two years. And, and I think, to your point there, if it is going to be what they get that guy kind of in a trade, whether it be maybe it's the Buchnevich deal where they end up getting a young prospect, Could a be. young defensive prospect like that, or maybe, and we were kind of talking about this off air, maybe they take a bunch of picks in a Buchnevich trade, and then instead of using those picks, I, I've kind of tinfoiled before. We know this is a heavy defensive class. We I was know, about to say, do you think that this is I, maybe a situation where you could use those picks to trade up? Yeah, I, I think that's something maybe. that Army's going to explore, especially if they go to the have to get in the route. top five, though. Yeah, because I think be there's tough. only three defensemen that they're saying are, are probably and next year ready. Is we know how long it takes. Like Those guys defensively typically take – Six years or so before they really reached Petro their took, fully board. Petro took about five years before he got to that level, and he was drafted fourth overall. And that's where it becomes another question of how long are you willing to wait? And if you're Doug Armstrong, I don't think you're willing to wait five years. I I do think we need to have an honest assessment of this roster and say, are they actually going to be not competitive Stanley Cup contenders at any point over the next two years? And if the answer to that is no. That should help to guide some of the decisions that we're talking about here. But if you think that they can be, then yeah, get a little bit more aggressive. That is maybe when you talk about Hannafin or Chikrin, somebody in that vein, and you try to accelerate the timeline of what you're able to do. If you think it is going to take a little longer, maybe you trade for one of those guys that has been a recent first-round pick that is getting close to being at the NHL level. So you avoid the first two to three years of development in the AHL. You get those guys ready to go in the NHL, and maybe within the next two or three years, they can be somebody that develops into a first-pairing defenseman. It takes time. It takes a lot of luck. And you hope to God that you end up getting it right because that's what it, that's what you're going to have to do. I think you could do it in two years. Again, I I go to the staples that this team has solidified this season. Uh, you've got the goalie, you've got the defenseman, you've got the number one center. You have complementary pieces in the wings that are going to be helping out soon. I think you have to get aggressive in two areas. You need to find somebody who can be the game breaker with Robert Thomas and somebody who can be on the same work level as Colton Pareko. And those two elements. At least, I don't know if they make you a Stanley Cup contender, but they put you at least into the conversation of, man, if they get in, they're a scary good team. One other thought on this is that you could you could try to take advantage of somebody that is going to hit the market free agency-wise like two years from now. That's the other area, like, yeah. I, I don't know that they would be open to this. My guess would be no, but like Shea Theodore, for example. Vegas, Aaron Ekblad, if I'm not mistaken, is a free agent. Uh, yeah, he, he's... 
he's going to be one two years from now as well. Like Those are the kinds of guys, and that's why Chikrin's name is even coming up in these conversations. Those are the kinds of names that maybe you get a year ahead of it, and you're able to trade for them now, extend them, and their own team is – they don't have to get into the situation where they are potentially losing them from now. But we've talked so much about the pieces that you have right now in terms of a Pavel Buchnevich and a Jordan Cairo. And as much as we're talking about, you know, getting draft picks and prospects, I mean, those are two pieces that if you want to be real aggressive, you could find a way to, to pry a defenseman who could be on the way out, out of somebody else's hands. Maybe, maybe Calgary right now with Hannafin, like, I don't know if Calgary would get a better deal offered to them for Noah Hannafin than either Pavel Buchnevich or Jordan Cairo. Maybe this is another one of those things where Vegas might not right now look like a great partner for you, but in the offseason for be. a Pavel Buchnevich deal, maybe then they're willing to talk to you about one of their defensemen that plays in their top four. Absolutely. Right now they're probably not doing that because they need those guys to win a cup, yeah. but in the offseason they could go out and sign somebody for a $2 million contract that can play third-pairing minutes for them and acquire Pavel Buchnevich, and now one of those defensemen from their surplus, they were able to trade for a guy that can help them when it comes to their, yep. their forward depth. All right, coming up next, Chicago is really kind of at the center of the NFL combine. They're the team that everybody's discussing. They're probably going to take Caleb Williams number one, but they have to figure out what to do with Justin Fields. What do they do if other teams have other players prioritized at that position than Fields? Is this thing going to take a little longer than we expected? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So the movement is about to begin in the NFL when it comes to the quarterbacks that could be heading elsewhere. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're only a couple of weeks away from the start of the NFL's free agent market. And there was a rumor earlier this morning from Doug Kayed, who works uh, up in New England, covering the New England Patriots as their beat writer. He said, Baker Mayfield has the support of some of the people within the Patriots building. There was also a bit of speculation earlier today from Alex's favorite, uh, Diana Rossini. Baker Mayfield has support in the Patriots building? Yes, they would like to sign him this offseason, potentially. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Mac Jones, Baker Mayfield. Let's just keep rolling it back with the same guys, right? There you go. So Diana Rossini oh, yeah, said her. earlier today on the Athletics NFL podcast that the full expectation is Kirk Cousins will once again try to get every penny possible this offseason, and it is her opinion that 
Minnesota will not be the team that offers the most money to Kirk Cousins. And in such a scenario, he would very likely move from Minnesota. She mentioned specifically Atlanta as a team that makes a lot of sense. They have a need. (laughs) They've got the money. He makes a lot of sense there in terms of what they do offensively. They're bringing in Zach Robinson, who was previously with L.A. They run a similar offense to what they do up in Minnesota. There's a fit there. The reason I'm bringing these up, Alex, is because the team at the center of every discussion right now is the Chicago Bears. They've got the number one overall pick. It sure sounds like they're going to be drafting Caleb Williams with that selection, which means that right now their priority is to trade Uh, Justin Fields. That is the thing they would like to do first, so that way they can get out in front of the free agent market. But Alex, I don't think there's a lot of teams that are putting him at the front of their market, or they would like Justin Fields more than these other quarterbacks available. What do you think is ultimately going to be the market for Justin Fields? I really don't. I think Chicago is going to have to either suck it up and hold on to him if you draft a quarterback, or take a different route and just back the Justin Fields train. I think Look, if if Kirk Cousins is available, I don't care about Justin Fields if I'm Atlanta. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign and throw all the money at Kirk Cousins and try and win with that. I, I would say Pittsburgh's probably only other team that would at least be in the market still for Justin Fields, but you're not getting what you originally thought you were gonna get for him. I'm thinking you're probably getting a third, fourth, fifth round draft pick because if I'm any other team that's in a conversation with Pitt with with Chicago, like. I've got you by the short and curlies. Like, you're not doing anything here. Like, you have to trade him because you're drafting Caleb Williams. So I will give you whatever whatever I deem possible. If I'm Pittsburgh and they call me, cool, I'll give you Kenny Smallhands for him if you want him. But, I, I, like, you don't get to tell me what I have to give you for him. I'm giving you what I feel that's worth. And so I don't know if the market's really there. I personally, and I've always been on this one, I think if I'm Chicago and I've got this first overall pick and Marvin Harrison is sitting there, I might try and maximize more draft picks, trade down a couple, get Marvin Harrison, back the Justin Fields train for a couple more years and see what happens. Yeah, I'm fascinated to know how this market develops because I think if you're a team, and we've talked about this a lot, I I think the ceiling for Justin Fields is he can become the 10th to 15th best quarterback in the league. And you can win with that. Like a team like Atlanta, if they brought in Fields, they could win. Same with Kirk Cousins, though. Like Kirk Cousins just falls into this exact same category. It's just a matter of, okay, do you want the quarterback that you got to pay the big dollars now? Also, they're very different in the way that they go about it. Justin Fields, you can be that, but he's doing it more with his legs and he's doing it with downfield passing, whereas Kirk Cousins is much more of a timing and rhythm type of exactly uh but it just depends on how you want to do it like if arthur smith was there kirk cousins is not a falcon yeah like and justin fields makes a lot of sense exactly and that's why like arthur smith now in pittsburgh as the oc makes a ton of sense for him because i think you could still see him develop into that 10 to 15th best quarterback doing it a different way from kirk cousins it could be a guy that could end up leading you that way it just depends on the offense and I, i think the way that he plays he has to be in a a specific offense that is going to tailor it to allowing the quarterback to run. I And I don't know who those teams are. I think Pittsburgh's the team that makes the most sense for them. But Alex is right. If it comes down to, like, everybody's looking around and Pittsburgh goes, we're the only ones that have interest. All right, well, here's a third or a fourth-round pick for Justin Fields. And if you're the Bears, that's a little disappointing because I thought going into the offseason, there was going to be not a big market, but, like, Four. Two or three teams bidding yeah, three, on Yeah, three, four teams going to bid on him. Maybe get a late first or, at best, an early second-round pick. And, man, I, I don't know if they're still going to get that or not. So I do wonder if we're entering a scenario where the best-case best case situation for them would be actually trading him to a team where he's going to be a backup for a year. 
And I know that sounds weird, but it could be a situation where, like, if you're the Jets, do you start thinking to yourself, like, hey, I don't know how much longer Aaron Rodgers wants to do this. A third-round pick for Justin Fields might be actually a pretty good situation for us where we've got our next quarterback behind Aaron Rodgers for a year, and then beyond that, cool, we're going to be Justin Fields' team. Uh, A team like the Browns. I'm not totally sure that their quarterback is currently on the roster with uh, Deshaun Watson, and it's not no, like they can invest Flacco. heavily in it. They, they don't really have a lot of draft capital, and they don't have any money to spend. Maybe I give up a day-two pick for Justin Fields and say, hey, if it doesn't work with Deshaun, fine. We've got another guy that wins with his legs, throws down the field. Like Maybe Justin Fields can be our long-term answer, and we'll just eat the money with Deshaun Watson as a backup. It's terrible, but... Hey, $40 million is about to be spent over the next two years for uh, the Denver Broncos to make Russell Wilson go away as well. What about the Titans? Could they say to themselves, hey, That's you know what? One. I don't know that Will Levis is the long-term answer here. Maybe it's Justin Fields. We don't want to spend a first-round pick on him, but could we get a second, maybe a third, get him in here in our building? Maybe. The Giants as a backup They've got a guy right now that wins with his legs in uh, Daniel Jones. I'm not sure how committed they are to him long-term beyond this upcoming season. If he stinks for four games, do they trade for Justin Fields and say, hey, four games in, Fields, it's your turn. Go ahead. Go out there and have this opportunity. What happens with the Bucks if Baker ends up leaving? Do the Seahawks look at this as a one-year situation for Geno Smith? This is his last season, and then beyond that, yeah, maybe we end up going with Justin Fields. That's just a few of the teams that if the asking price comes down in a significant way, maybe they do say that there's actually an argument to be made that as not a long-term backup plan, but as a backup for a year where we learn a little bit about him inside of our locker room, it's a good break glass in case of emergency insurance policy for us. And if it works, great. He's a long-term starter. And if it doesn't, man, we're out a third-round pick. The odds of that guy hitting for us in a meaningful way weren't all that high anyways. I think that might be where we're heading. Because right now, it doesn't seem like anybody's prioritizing him in a way where it's like, yeah, the Falcons see him as their number one plan. No, they see Kirk Cousins as their number one plan. The teams that are drafting at the top, they view the first-round picks as their number one plan. A lot of teams that are like the back end of the top ten, maybe J.J. McCarthy is their number one plan. So if you have to wait, you may end up seeing something like this. Which is interesting that we've gotten to this point because, as as I mentioned, you know, his ceiling is 10th to 15th best quarterback. Well, like I look at like Baker Mayfield, and his ceiling's what? Like 15th to 20th best quarterback? Maybe he cracks the top 15? And that guy's going to get a $40 million contract this year. So if I'm a team, I, I don't understand the whole idea of not even bringing them in to just start. I Like, I, I would if I'm trading for Justin Fields, I want him to start for me for the next two years to figure out what I have at least before then you can get into the spot of, Okay, now what are we going to do? Because otherwise you got to go spend – like Baker Mayfield's going to get a ridiculous contract that he is not worth because we've talked about it. That mid-tier contract for our starting quarterback – doesn't exist. It, it does not exist. So if I'm a team that's looking for a quarterback, for example, and I don't really have a younger guy on the roster. Like the Titans have Will Levis, and they want to run it with him. That's fine. But like if I'm like a team like the Steelers, we all know you don't have a starting quarterback. So am I going to go out there? Am I going to sign a Baker Mayfield for $40 million a year? Or do I trade for Justin Fields, who's still on his rookie contract? And, and if he ends up playing well, you know what? Then we're going to pay him. And if not, we just cut bait. And yep. we move on. We go find the guy after that. Yep, That's what I would do. Somebody else on the text line makes uh, a point that I've seen others make. At that point, just keep Fields and compete with Caleb. No, you can't do that. 
You, if Caleb Williams is the number one overall pick, he's your quarterback, and you move on accordingly. You do not bring in Caleb Williams, keep Justin Fields, and have the conversation this year of who should they play and have that as the backdrop to every single game that Caleb Williams is playing for you. You absolutely do not do that. You turn the franchise over to your number one overall selection. You do not keep both of those players on the roster. That is an absolute nightmare of a situation. Coming up in 10 minutes, David Panyota, the junk drawer is next. BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. All right, let's dive into the juncture, Alex. What do you got for us? All right, guys. So I have a uh, I have something else to add to my list that I would like to label as psychopathic tendencies. Okay, Uh, a couple of things fall into this category. What's that? What'd you do? I didn't do anything yesterday. Uh, A couple of things fall into this category. I think people that don't carry um, cash around with them are a little bit of psychopaths. You you don't or do? Don't. You carry cash? Yeah, I carry some cash, like oh, emergency I, cash. I never carry cash. Um, I don't even I, I think, my wallet right now. I think people that wear bow ties have this a little bit. Well, um, I think people that eat. Mo. I think people that eat popcorn where they put their whole hand in and pull a pile out. Uh, yeah. Are that? I'm there. Yeah. Of course you do. Grant Francis is my new psychopath, ladies and gentlemen. So we're doing the broadcast. Um, well, I guess it was Wednesday night, Thursday, Tuesday night. I don't know. But anyway, Grant, Grant and I love ourselves some peanut butter M and M's. Grant went to the uh, break room, bought a bag of peanut butter M&M's, and sat down, and, well, he poured all of the peanut butter M&M's out on the counter and ate them one oh, by one. Oh, God. And I, the, looked at, studio? and I looked at that man, oh, and I said, God. that's how you eat peanut butter M&M's. He goes, no what? he's sick all the time. <laughs> he goes, what? I said, no, you pick them out of the bag, and you eat yeah. them one by one. And Grant's like, no, that's just what I do. Are you just pour a couple in your hand and eat them? Yeah. Nope, Grant just dumped them all out. and. I felt I, I think Grant felt the judging uh, nature of myself. Well, he should because he saw me looking. I'm like, what the hell are yeah. you doing? I, I saw the death stare from across the studio. <laughs> I, I mean. Honestly, though, like pouring them out is just more efficient. I don't have to pick up the bag, pour them into my hand. You know, just no, lay them just all out and your snag one, the one by one. And you pull one out. Sometimes those you... bags rip a little bit more than you want, though, and then they get everywhere. It's easier just to, like pour them all out, set no. them in a pile, and no. just you know do what you need to do. Grant, I am I no, out of line here? No, you're not. Grant, I have no idea the last time that that counter area you were sitting in has been cleaned. Oh, it Jesus. doesn't get cleaned. That's what it, and and like even if you did this at home, I think you're a little bit of a crazy person. Like you just don't pour out all the candy; you just eat it from the bag. Listen, I'm building my immune system here. Okay, <laughs> or, let me tell you or something. Pour it in a, if you need to pour a it out, bowl? pour it out like in a bowl. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm just making sure. That I'm not the crazy one here. No, I, at home, I have no problem with pouring it out into a bowl. Oh, I absolutely no do. Whatsoever. In the studio, buddy. You, we've, we've got to make some changes. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I am still alive. So it's true. He hasn't been sick since he did it. let so. me oh, it's eat coming, my buddy. peanut butter M&Ms in peace. That's true. He's Grant Eat your grunts. That's Alex Ferrario. He <laughs> is Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we've got David Panyota. He's got all kinds of reports, it feels like, on what's going on with the trade market. What does he see the Blues as realistically doing this year at the deadline? We're only a week away. We'll talk to him about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
We're back here at the Centene Community Ice Center, ENB Granite Studios, BK and Ferrario, alongside Brandon Kylie and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario, a week away from the trade deadline in the National Hockey League, which is why I was so happy when our favorite David Panyota, editor-in-chief of the fourth period, you see him on Sirius XM NHL, also at the NHL Network, I was so happy when he said he was available today to hop on with us to talk about the trade rumors because a ton of them have been swirling around this St. Louis. Blues team. David, happy almost trade deadline day to you, sir. Thank you for taking some time out and hopping on with us. Absolutely. What a, this, is, this is a silly season. This is the crazy time of year. Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the Pavel Buchnevich stuff that kind of started coming out more and more as we've gone along here out of February and into March. What have you heard about the Pavel Buchnevich rumors? Well, you know, this, this really started to transpire after, or, or excuse me, this started to, to get louder after, you know, the team started to kind of go up and down over the last, you know, 10 days, two weeks, you know, four wins in regulation in their last 10 games, um, inadvertently for them, you know, creating more distance from the Nashville Predators right now who've passed them. They've won seven in a row. They're seven points up on St. Louis, even though the Blues have two games in hand. Um, and, and it's allowed teams or given an excuse for other teams to call Doug Armstrong and say, hey, where, where are you guys at? And would you consider moving this guy? And, and I think the consideration is there if the price is met. And it sounds like because he has another year left on his contract, he has some no trade uh, protection as part of his deal. It sounds like you're looking at a first round pick, a top prospect and an additional asset in order to pry Vushnevich out of St. Louis. Now, it, it could be a variation of those things. It could be two firsts in a pick. It could be, you know, whatever. is is That's the equivalent in terms of value that St. Louis would want if they move this guy. Comes with a $5.8 million cap hit for what he's doing. And you look at, you know, some of the, the offensive players available, um, he would jump and, and does jump right to the top of the list in terms of, um, p- potential guys that could potential impact offensive players that, that could step into an environment and, and, and create that for a team in need of it. So whether it's a Vegas um, that, that wants to upgrade their offense, especially now with Mark Stone out of the lineup, or a Carolina that's looking around trying to add to their offense, and they prefer to go out of, to, to shop out of the rental market to get a guy with term, which he has one more year on. Um, so there are a few teams, Edmonton, of course, another one, looking to add up front as well as, well as the blue line. Uh, so there, there, there are options available. It's just a matter of are these teams going to be willing to pay a price that's going to be able to convince Doug Armstrong to say, all right, this is, this is what we need to do. David, we know everything is supply and demand, right? That's how the market works yep. in any aspect of life, but especially as we get to this time of the year, as we approach the trade deadline. Is it fair to say the only legitimate top six wingers that appear to be available right now are Pavel Buchnevich and Jake Gensel? Uh, you could add, uh, you, you'd add probably Frank Vitrano to that list in, in, in Anaheim. Um, he's having a career year numbers-wise, goal-scoring-wise. He's got another year left on his contract. Gensel's price tag in Pittsburgh is about the same that I just described for, for Busnevich. The difference between the two, Gensel's a free agent at the end of the season, whereas, you know, Pavel's got another year on his deal. Vitrano, another year on his deal. Um, no, no trade protection, but a much lower cap hit. Um, depending on how you view his teammate, Adam Henrique, if you view him more as a winger versus a center, 
Um, and he can play both, and he's, he's solid at the faceoff dot as well. Um, he's also available. He will be traded. Henrik will be. It's not a matter of if. It's, it's when. He will be moved. Um, and then you look at, you know, Vladdy Tarasenko, former blue. He's out in Ottawa right now. He's a free agent at the end of the summer. He has a full no trade clause, a $5 million clip. Um, but Ottawa is willing to retain, and Tarasenko, what we reported this week, is willing to go to a contender. A little different than years past, you know, when he was only considering a few different markets, moved to the Rangers last year. Sounds like he's more open to chasing another Stanley Cup with a, with a, a, a top contender. So it could be Vegas, could be Florida, could be you know, Edmonton, uh, even Colorado. Uh, there, there are a lot of teams right now that are kind of fishing in the same pool. And these are some of the players that either have one year left or are on an expiring deal that kind of lead the, the, the offensive category in, in terms of assets that are available, uh, unless you start trying to be a little more creative and start trying to pry guys away from teams that have full terms. Uh, these are the primary assets. On a follow-up uh, follow on that, do you know what the status is right now with Jake Insel in terms of his, his health? He's doing well. Um, he's Because of the timeline of when he was placed on LTIR, he's eligible to come off on, on, on the 10th, uh, so nine days from now. Uh, I believe he's on track to do that. Um, but checking in, it, it sounds like he's, he's, he's healing well. He's ready to, he should be ready to go in and around that time frame. David, one more on Pavel Buchnevich before we move on uh, to some other areas with the Blues. I, I've stated that if Doug's going to trade Booch at the trade deadline, the return has to include either someone who projects to be a top six forward for the Blues next season or someone who projects as a top four defenseman for the Blues next season. Now, I understand they might be young. There's still some upside, but that's who you're going after. Do you believe that the teams that are interested in Booch have those players in their system, whether it's NHL or in the prospect pool? Some do. I think Edmonton does. I think Edmonton's an intriguing one because they're willing to move their first-round pick. They're willing to move some of the younger pieces. You know, Philip Broberg is, is available um, as, as a piece that they've been dangling on that, on that blue line. Um, hasn't meshed or connected fully well yet at the NHL level with their system. But he was, after he was sent down to the A this year, he has been playing – a lot of minutes, and he's been playing very well, um, which is potentially a good sign, or at least from Edmonton's perspective, they could sell that. Um, but <laughs> he, ha- he has been doing better. Um, so there are a few. And Dylan Holloway is another player from them. Um, and then you look at other, you know, some other teams that, that could be part of the mix. I don't know if you know Vegas fully is there um, in terms of asset wise, but there are some teams that do have some of those pieces that they'd be willing to. To kind of part with, and and to your point, um, look, Ar- Army's not going to move this player unless he gets what he feels is is top tier value for him. So even if it's a first round pick and uh, a, a sub tier prospect, it, it's not something that the Blues are going to jump on. They want to make sure if they're moving this player, they're getting the return that basically forces them to say yes. So, as we're talking to David Panyota of the fourth period, you can follow him on Twitter at the fourth period, F O U R T H, spelled out fourth period. Uh, David, as as you think about the likelihood of the Blues actually moving um, Buchnevich as we get closer to this year's deadline, how would you present the likelihood of that, given what you know about mm-hmm. these other teams and and how urgently they're looking to upgrade? I think there's more of a willingness to go after him over a Gensel, for example, because of that extra year on the deal. 
Um, so I think from that perspective, it gives him, it might give a bit of an edge to his side. Um, but, you know, again, it's going to come down to teams being willing to, to pay a premium. And if you're truly looking for offense, um, and, and I think Vegas may be more so than Edmonton from a, a top six desire because Mark Stone is going to be out until I think at least May. Um, you know, that, that, it, it's good, that ch- kind of changes things a little bit. I think from Edmonton's perspective, um, they would like to add, but they also want to add on the blue line. So they have to be cognizant of where their assets are going to be placed and how they're going to move things out. In addition to that, they're right up against the cap. So even if St. Louis retains on Bushnevich's deal, which I would be a little surprised, um, they're going to have to take a body back or somebody from Edmonton is going to have to leave and end up somewhere else. Cody Cece's name is out there. Greg Kulak's name is out there on the back end and Warren Fogel as well. And that may, that may, it may be a separate deal or a three-way, and that certainly complicates things. they got seven days to figure it out. But um, there, there, are, there are options. I, I just, it comes down to which teams are willing to pay that price for a guy with an extra year versus a UFA like, like Gensel. Uh, there's been a little bit of resistance, or a lot more resistance, I should say, with respect to Gensel's asking price versus what St. Louis has been asking um, or, or wanting anyway for Bushnevich. David, another player that we've talked a lot about in St. Louis, which makes sense because we see him all the time, but he has mm-hmm. taken a dip this season is Jordan Cairo. Now, I don't know if the Blues even are interested in trading Jordan Cairo, but do you think there would be interest around the National Hockey League if the offseason comes around and Cairo's name is out there? Without question. Um, that's zero hesitation. If Cairo is available... There will be 31 other teams that will want to know what that price is and how they can make it happen. Um, you know, like you said, yeah, rough, rough season hasn't really, you know, ups and downs, maybe more downs than ups, but the kid's 25 years old. Um, you know, he'll be, he'll be 26, I think, in April or May. Um, he, he's got seven more years on this contract. And the way that, um, you know, he's, he's performed, uh, yeah, okay, look, the numbers aren't as, I don't even know if they, I would even categorize him as, as as not as solid as the last few seasons when he had 70-plus points. I think he's on pace close to it. it just you, you anticipated that next step, which I still believe he will get to, and I think a lot of teams believe that as well. Um, I would be surprised if we see any action now. But if he is available, or, or at least if St. Louis is willing to at least explore that in the summer, I'm telling you, the other 31 teams will be lining up. As a follow-up to that, David, is that a move that if the Blues did decide to move him in the offseason, and I would imagine they're looking for a player in return that just needs a change of scenery, is that a move that you believe the Blues would regret? I, I mean, depending, obviously, what the return is, but um, I think I think Kairou is, is uh, he's a star. Let's just put it that way, plain and simple. He's he's a star. It's, it's again, a roller coaster year this year, um, but... like this, he has superstar potential still. Like he had 70 points plus the last couple of seasons. He'll be in and around that this year. Um, This is a guy that's going to be just entering the prime of his career. Once he, you know, basically now till 30, you're looking at that star status without question for at least the next five, six seasons. Um, That, that would not be, unless you're getting, equivalent or better value in a move 
in this respect. And if they do move him, it would be a hockey trade, talent for talent. Um, I don't think there's much of a, of a desire to do it. And, and I think it would more or less come from, the, from somebody from the outside to say, look, we want to move this piece. We like that player in, in Jordan Cairo. How do we make this work? I think that would be how this thing really gets initiated if it does ever get to that point. David, outstanding stuff as always. Again, truly appreciate you making some time out of a busy schedule to hop on with us. I know I'm glad we got you on now because next week sounds like it's going to be a little bit of a whirlwind. So enjoy the week of trade deadline, sir, and I know we'll talk to you post-trade deadline and uh, going into the offseason here on BK and Ferrario. Sounds great. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. There you go. He's one of the best. David Pagnota, the fourth period, Sirius XM, NHL radio, and, of course, NHL network um, television-wise. So... I asked the question about Booch and Ginsel for a reason. I, I think that when he said, yeah, those two guys, plus you can add Frank Vetrano and Vladimir Tarasenko, that answers the question. Yeah. Those guys aren't the, the second tier. That, that's a different category of top Those are the guys forwards. you trade for when you say it's too costly to go get Gensel and Buchnevich. And I think when you look at what you have available to you as another team, with Gensel versus what you have available to you in Buchnevich, Gensel is purely a goal scorer. Like, that is what Jordan Kairou's ceiling could be. You hope he becomes Jake Gensel, essentially. Gonna do nothing for you defensively, but hot damn, that guy can score some goals for you. That's it. What does that mean for you in the postseason? Because we've seen this, Alex, as the games get a little bit more in terms of the... Um, the intensity, mm-hmm. those kinds of guys sometimes can fade off to the side. I don't think Buchnevich is that way. Buchnevich is not afraid of a little bit of contact. He's a guy that's going to play the full 200-foot game. And so between the extra year of contract status that he has and the value that he has in terms of fitting into whatever situation you want to put him into, I think it makes Pavel Buchnevich the single most valuable forward that is available at this year's trade deadline. And if I'm Doug Armstrong... That's how I'm selling him. Mm-hmm. If you want to buy this asset that I have available to me, you're going to pay full market price because your other alternatives are, okay, yeah, go ahead. Get Frank Petrano, who's been available for each of the last seven years, it feels like. Go ahead. Go get yourself a Jake Gensel, who is an expiring contract, coming back from a significant injury, and who gives you zero value defensively. Fine. Go good. Go, go that route. I've got the one guy that is available at this year's market. That has multiple years of status in terms of his contract available to you and that can fit into any situation that you want him to be in. I, that is a huge asset to be able to play at this year's trade deadline. And because it is a supply and demand type of a market, he should be asking for the world and then some. Mm-hmm. They, they, they should be able to get a huge return if they want to trade Pablo yeah. Buchanan. I, I mean, you know what Jake Gensel doesn't do? Play on the penalty kill. You know what Jake Gensel doesn't do? play on the ice in a tight game of a one-goal lead. And guess what the entire series in four rounds of the playoffs are? Tight games, one-goal games. Now, he may give you that one-goal lead because he can put the puck Maybe. in the back of the net. And so he, I, but this goes wrong. to the Jordan Kyra conversation. I, I got to have – my best players have to be able to play in that scenario. I can't have my best players being on the bench in a game that I need to win. And that's where it falls. And I got to be honest, Jake Gensel, as much as I love the idea of Jake Gensel – I'd be a little worried if I was another team of what the Crosby effect was because Gensel's only played with Sidney Crosby. What's that, what's that effect when I trade him and play him with Jack Eichel or if Jack Eichel's not healthy, Ivan Barbashev? 
Is it the same? It's the Calgary situation with Huberto. Whereas I know for a fact Pavel Buchnevich two years ago scored 30 goals playing on a line with Ryan O'Reilly and Robert Thomas, who at the time weren't superstars. I know for a fact that Pavel Buchnevich plays on the penalty kill. Which makes those around him better. Absolutely. We don't know if Ginsel is that guy or Mm -hmm. if he's a guy that is a product. I think he's a good player no matter what, but could he be... In terms of his goal-scoring ability, where it is right now, could he be a bit of a product of the system, the yeah. situation in which he is in? I think we've seen that here in St. Louis, where we all thought, okay, Tory Krug is the reason why that Boston Bruins power play goes. Mm-hmm. The truth is, the situation was also very good. Tory Krug, still a good quarterback power play. Is Tory Krug maybe what the Blues thought he was going to be in that regard? Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe he's merely good it, as opposed to being a leader. And this is why I... I w- I warn people that as we approach the trade deadline, and I know how this goes because I've been in this scenario as a fan, you look at it and all the dust settles and you're like, they didn't trade Booch? What are you doing? They didn't trade Booch because I'm not trading him for what David Pagnota said. I'm not going to get a mid-tier prospect and a first-round pick and a third-round pick for Pavel Buchnevich. I will keep that guy at $5.8 million and try and win again next year with him. I disagree with him, by the way. I think the team to watch is Carolina. I think that's the team. I think, but but I I understand what he's saying. If you're Carolina, I'm not going to give up the farm for a player. If I, I I'll have a price if I'm Carolina, and if you don't want to if you don't want to do it, then I'll just go get the next level guy because you know that they're a system team. They're a guy like you could put Frank Vitrano on that, and at least you're going to get the scoring that you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, but what's that gotten them over the last few years? Well, nothing. In the and that's the problem. In the playoffs, players win, man. You need blue chip players. And I don't know if Booch is for sure at that level, but he's the closest thing that's available this, this offseason yeah. or this trade deadline to being able to get that guy. And the other thing is, like, man, they've got to put together a team for next year, too. Mm-hmm. And some of this might be a situation where they're saying, okay. We've got Sveshnikov, we've got Aho. Beyond that, what do we got? And how do we piece our team together around them? Because you have one, two, three, four, four other UFAs in your forward group and three other RFAs in your forward group going into this offseason. So having a guy that is cost-controlled, ready to go going into next year might be helpful. Martin Nietzsche, by the way, is one of those RFAs that they could send to St. Louis. You don't have to worry about the contract status. You don't have to worry about extending him or anything like that. Give him up to St. Louis. We're replacing that guy in our lineup, basically one for one. The money is not going to matter for them. They don't have to give up an extra draft pick for the Blues to retain salary. It is the easiest and best situation for both teams, in my opinion. That would be the one that I would be targeting if I'm Doug Armstrong, Carolina. See, Edmonton's mine. I I believe Edmonton is going to be the team that's in the most desperation because you've got a couple more years of Leon Dreisaitl. You've got a couple more years of Connor McDavid, and they got to win. And they got a good defense with Ekholm and Nurse and Bouchard. They still don't have a goaltender, but it seems like the goaltending market's drying up now that Soros... wise I agree with you. I don't know that they have what Doug Armstrong's going to want. I think they do with Holloway and Broberg. Maybe, but... I, I think they match the timeline of Snuggerud, Dvorsky, Neighbors, which is what he's trying to build this My roster around. Would be, if I'm Doug Armstrong, Joe, I want to do the Zach Dean thing again. Yeah. But I don't know if these guys are Zach Dean. Like, Zach Dean was a guy that was drafted two years ago, and like you knew it was going to take time. Zach Dean thing would be Vegas trade again. You're getting a 29th overall pick in the draft... The, who was the guy that you guys brought up in the commercial break? Edstrom with the Vegas Golden Knights. It was yeah. a proposed trade you saw. That guy was drafted last year, 32nd overall. That's your waiting three to four years. I, I think Holloway is a guy that is playing in the NHL now. He's just a fourth liner. 
you get traded and you put him on a top six to see what he can do. But what if he's not? What this is my this that's is my the thing gamble is, you're taking. And I would potentially rather go the Carolina route, where I know I know Martin Nietzsche is already a top six forward for you. But he's what if they're not go- dangling him? What if they don't want to give up that? But based on his reporting, it yeah. sounds like they are. They're at least willing to enter him into discussions with these other teams when it comes to trade proposals. And so if I've got a situation where on one side I've got a prospect who's playing on a fourth-line role right now and frankly hasn't produced a lot, and on the other side I've got a guy that is a top-six forward ready to go waiting in the wings for you and I can sign him to a four-year deal worth $4.5 million this offseason. I'm going that route. My thing with Edmonton is I think you can – we just talked about this a little bit ago. Like the two areas that you really need to pounce on is a top-six winger and a top-four defenseman. What if you can get both of those in one trade for a player? What if you can get a top-four defenseman – and a top six forward. And again, I understand what you're saying. You're correct. This is all a gamble. You got to hope that you identify these on guys my side, p- correctly. I'm for sure, getting one of those things. Yep. On your side, you might be getting another. But of you're them, also paying that guy six million plus next year. I don't think he's going to get that. I mean, he's making three now. Yeah. Last Four year, and a half. Four I, and a half by three. I think you'd at least be talking Pavel Buchnevich numbers of what he got when he came to the Blues. Maybe he gets five. Yeah. yeah I, fine. I'm yep. willing to pay that. And, and that's just honestly, if that if that trade happens. Win by the Blues. I just look at it as I don't. I don't want them to do a deal with Vegas. I don't want. I don't mind if they do a deal with Florida. I don't think they have the same level of players as the two teams we're talking about right now. If you strike a deal, it better be with Edmonton or Carolina. That's how you make your team better the rest of this season and next. Or season. a mystery team that we haven't discussed. Yeah, yet. and it could be. You could get another team that says, "Yeah, we're desperate. We need to make this move." Last thing here, we are one week away from the trade deadline. Gut feeling today, T-Bone. And by the way, Grant, we'll go ahead and double up here. Just heads up, I'll give you a minute to be able to get that set up for us. Gut feeling today, Alex. Does Pavel Buchnevich get traded at the deadline? I'm going to say yes. I think he does. I- I believe the two playoff runs are going to be important for a team, and I don't know how teams are going to be able to convince themselves out of paying the price for two years of Buchnevich. So, yeah, I think so. I think he gets traded as well. I think there's a market. I think that somebody's going to meet the price for Doug Armstrong. I really do. And I don't know exactly what Army's going to look for in this return, but I do think Pavel Buchnevich will be traded at the NHL trade deadline. I am still out of no because these are tough deals to get done. In this kind of a timeline, I think it's more of an off-season move for a team. But I'm, I was at like a ninety percent no the other day, probably a week ago. Mm-hmm. I'm now at like a sixty-five percent no, where I'm I'm trending in the direction more so today of a yes yeah. than I have been previously. And I think the noise is just going to get louder between now and Friday. For sure. Oh, expect a lot of chatter over the next mm-hmm. five days or so as we yeah. get closer to the deadline it- about Booch because. I mean, he's the one that is going to get headlines. If nothing else, like if you're a national reporter, the guys that you're checking in on the most right now are Pavel Buchnevich and Jake, Jake Gensel because they're the two guys that can really change a playoff series. And, and as Jeff Merrick said today on the 32 Thoughts podcast, that screams the type of deal that doesn't get submitted until 1.59, a minute before the deadline actually hits, and you find out as the deadline expires that a team pulled that off. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tina Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options we'll tell you which one's got to go one's got to go is next year on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn this is bk and ferrario time now for one's gotta go we offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 espn 
Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. Four ones gotta go. You give us four different options. We'll tell you which ones gotta go. And let's start with this because it's a beautiful day here in St. Louis, kind of neighborhood. <laughs> ones gotta go. Ballpark food: a brat, a hamburger, a nacho. Or a pretzel. Which one's got to go? T-Bone, we'll start with you because I know you're a hot dog and well, uh, ballpark food connoisseur. We know the brat stays. Uh, the nacho steak, because that could be like a good snack if you ate like before the game. Um, well, oh, the pretzel pretzel stick. I think it's the hamburger. It's totally the hamburger. I don't know if I've ever had a good ballpark hamburger. When, when I don't you, know if that you really ever belongs want a burger there. at exactly. a ballpark. I don't know if it belongs there. So I would say the hamburger's got to go. I don't want to sit down and, and try and eat a hamburger in my seat while I'm balancing the thing on my yeah. lap. All the other things are easier. Nachos one hand, brat one hand. Exactly. Pretzel one hand, burgers two hands. Not doing it. I can't believe we're all in agreement on this, oh. but it's the hamburger. It's and easily more. the worst option for specifically a baseball game. I like a good hamburger. I got no issues with going to a spot. I'll go to um, Five Guys. I'll go wherever. I'll get a good burger. <laughs> I don't what a need brain fart that one. <laughs> I love me a good burger, especially if I go to uh, wherever to get a burger. <laughs> Anywhere, it's great. Let just at the ballpark. My great <laughs> just at the ballpark. I just don't want to go in at the ballpark. All right, three one four three nine 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 six four. This is the Air Comfort Service X line. One's got to go. Alex, I'll let you answer this one. <laughs> okay. Blues coaches: Bannister, McClellan, Woodcroft, or Quinville. Which one's got to go? Oh, I'd get rid of Woodcroft. I, I don't. I think Jay Woodcroft looked good because of Connor McDavid, and then when the team decided not to play for him anymore because they hated him, he was gone. Now you could make that argument for all the other teams, uh, but I, I don't really think there was anything anything sexy about Jay Woodcroft's coaching style. I I would keep Bannister in the conversation, although I, I do wonder if Doug's going to be looking elsewhere because of the the inconsistency still this season. Uh, I would keep Quinville. McClellan I'm kind of iffy about, but I would much rather have McClellan than Woodcroft. I'd get rid of Quinville just because what a PR nightmare it's going to be. Um, I, I, you, know, you guys know me and and some teams may say, hey, in the news is good news. Uh, not this guy. I, I would not hire Quinville because of the PR nightmare that would come with it. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the route that I would go as well. I just don't think that the Blues are it. The other thing is, like, you don't hire Joel Quinville when you're not trying to win right now. Exactly. You hire Joel Quinville when you're in a position where you're trying to, like, get yourself over the top and you're willing to take the PR nightmare that comes along with you it. you got to develop players, and Quinville's not in this business to develop players anymore. Quindle's in this business to win with a roster in like, place. If Edmonton doesn't get there this year, they're the type of team that says, you know what, yeah. it's time. It's time to go get the best coach possible for us to win now. We've got to get this done with this current crop of players because next year might be our last opportunity to do so. I'll tell you the one that, that I'm most interested in, if he becomes available and they don't do Bannister, Sheldon Keefe. I, I, I think if Sheldon... some buzz on that. Where's if, that coming from? I... I because I believe if you're Toronto, you're going to have to do something. You're but not. It, like, is there a connection between Keith and Army? Do we know? Because I, you're not the first person that I've heard mention that I've heard. Did that he coach well. a, a anything with Team Canada? I don't know if he took, uh, coached anything with Team Canada. I mean, obviously you've got the Canadian market. You know that uh, Doug Armstrong is highly connected to the Canadian market. But I, I, I think people are bringing his name up because 
if Toronto gets bounced in the first round, okay. they're going to fire him. And what coaches one are going to be uh, highly sought after? He's got experience in the minor leagues, and I'm just looking. I don't think he's got any experience with anybody from the uh, juniors team, but that would be the one that I'd be most interested in. Okay. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air cover service tax line. Sticking with the Blues, Blues Prospect Edition. Dean, Bullduke, Snuggerud, or Dvorsky? One's got to go. Uh, this one's easy, yeah, right? Yeah, it's Dean. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have probably argued Dean or Bullduke because of, like, the time frame of kind of how they play, but I, I think Bullduke's been impressive in the few games that we've seen him. Yeah. I, you asked this before Bullduke got called up. I, I would have been 50-50 between Dean and Agreed. Bullduke. But like you said, Bullduke's been impressive. I thought he fell out of favor in the organization. I remember it's been two camps in a row. This, this past year's training camp and the year prior, now granted, it was a different coach at the time, but I remember Craig Berube saying, like, hey, he's he's got to focus more on the defensive end of the game, defensive end of the game, and I went, oh, that's gone. Yeah. That's not going to be here. Exactly. And now he's been up here, and he's actually looked pretty good on the ice. Yeah. So The I think funny it's thing is it's the defense that has surprised me. Yeah, surprised. It's the effort yeah. that has surprised me. I don't know that he's been a great defensive player, but he's He he's hasn't trying. been a liability on the ice, which is more than I can say for some guys. Yeah, and he's, he's trying, Rana. which is all I can really <laughs> ask for. So. I've I think we're all on the same I haven't page. spoken for Rana's name since December. Uh, that that train is is uh, gone on. I would kind of like to see Zach Dean, by the way, before the I end thought of you're the about season. To save I think they'll bring him. By the end of the season, if you're out of it, you give Dean a shot. He's played well. I think he's got like four or five goals in his last three games. He's got seven points. He's in the last playing seven. the top line for the Springfield Thunderbirds right now. He'll get he'll get a look. I, I think his ceiling's a third line centerman, and that's that's kind of the trajectory of this team as if, you're building it. If you're Doug Armstrong, should we be talking more about Kevin Hayes as a potential trade candidate this year? Sure, but nobody's going to be calling about it. Need 50% of the salary. and uh, You're better off just keeping it on the team and hoping he plays better next year. I don't know if you want to eat. Are you, though? Because it's the it's really the spot on the roster that I'm talking about. Like, I want Dean playing in that role. Because if you have Hayes here, I get it, what's he? But I, I, I Dean's got to be a, your fourth line center next yeah, year. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, he he'd take Sunquist's role next year. I would imagine if you don't bring Sunquist back. And I mean, if you're, I kind of would rather have Sonny on the team than Hayes. Oh, I'm year. with you. I, if you're them, though, like Dean's played well for five games. He hasn't been good this season, so I would say Dean's one of those guys that you want to see more of. But you're up against it. The reason why I'm saying this is because you're up against a deadline here of trading Kevin Hayes and opening up that spot on your roster. I think I would trade him if I can get anything in return. I, and I'm willing to retain 50% of the salary. Yeah, see, that's where I wouldn't do it. Cause it's, that's a million, two more. it's a million and a half. I like, know, but cares? it's two more years of it, and I just... But you're not going to compete. Like, those $2 million are not going to disallow no. you to do anything. But, but that roster spot might. That I, roster spot is meaningful. He's been like 65% on the faceoff dot. I, I think he's also been victim to the guys that he's been playing with. I mean, you've done a lot of with Kapanen oh, and Blay. Oh, you're you're cool with Kapanen and Blay this season? I mean, he looks a lot like his numbers playing. prior to last year. Because last year he had, what, 50 points? And last year he was, was playing somebody, on the top line with Philly. Yeah, but somebody had to get points. In no, I uh, completely understand. And, like, uh, I, don't, I don't bake anything off of what he did last year. I just, for $3.5 million, that's the production I want for my third line. I mean, 30 points and 60% from the faceoff. Get him off the power play. That's the first thing I would say. But you got other guys that should be doing that. I don't, I don't think it's to the point where I would eat salary for him to go play elsewhere. And even if you I don't I trade him, I, put him in the press box if you're going to give Dean an opportunity. Yeah. Like I, that or I put him no on the fourth with. line and let Dean play the third line. Like, you can move guys around. Uh, I just, yeah, he's one of those, like, there's guys that I'd probably look at and be like, yeah, I'd probably eat 50% of the salary. I think he's fine for you next year in a third or a fourth fourth line yeah, role. For, for $1.8 million, if somebody wants to send me a sixth-round pick in return, I'm doing it. That's all you sent in return for him in the first place. So 
I'll, I'll eat 1.8. It's two years of eating $1.8 million. That's nothing, dude. Teams do that all the time. And, like, we're talking about potentially retaining salary for Pavel Buchnevich to get a little bit more in return. I'll take that I'll take that salary, eat it, whatever, $2 bucks. I'll just pretend like it was never there. And I'll give Zach Dean those the opportunities to be able to uh, to get that that playing time. Yeah. Um, but I don't think anybody's going to take his salary or his play, so neither here nor there. That's Blues Alex. will. He's T-Bone. I'm BK. The Rewind is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with the Daily Rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We've got Grant Francis doing a fantastic job for us, holding it back in the studio today because we are broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, if you missed any of the day, today's show, people can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. If you go there, you'll see the very beginning of our countdown of the 20 <clears throat> most important Cardinals for 2024. At number 20 on the list was Dylan Carlson. You can hear our explanation for that on the podcast page. Alex, much of our show today has been caught up in the Pavel Buchnevich trade market, as you would expect. Elliot Friedman earlier today was on the 32 Thoughts podcast, one of the uh, leading analysts or insiders in the business, and basically said, hey, listen, the, the Blues are listening. There's a lot of teams out there that would be interested if he is legitimately available, but the asking price is going to be really high. He mentioned Edmonton, Carolina, Vegas, and Florida as the four teams that are most urgently looking for top six forward uh, help in their top six. Alex, if you're the Blues and you're setting the asking price, for you, what does it look like from one of those four teams? You're giving me your best prospect, whether it's a guy that's hasn't played yet or a guy that's in the minor leagues or has gotten a taste of the NHL. You're sending me a first-round draft pick, and you're going to send me some type of player off of your NHL roster. I gave you my trade proposition from the Edmonton Oilers yesterday, and that was kind of what David Panyota basically said. You're giving me a Holloway, you're giving me a Broberg, and you're giving me a first-round draft pick. And that's you're giving me something that is playing on my team the day after the trade deadline and is projected to be either in my top six forward group or top four defenseman group. And that's my starting price. You want to go beyond that? We can talk. But that's where we're starting this conversation at. And I don't think it should be anything less. So on a different note, we were talking during one of the breaks about some of the hurdles that the Blues have to clear in terms of the money that they have on their books right now, not just for next year, but for years to come. If you guys could have a do-over, a mulligan, and like the NBA used to have the amnesty clause where you could just get out of a contract, essentially. If you could have one contract that you make, poof, go away into thin air, if you were Doug Armstrong, what would it be? You get nothing in return, but just the contract disappears from your salary cap. That player immediately becomes a free agent. Who would that player be for you? I think it would be Falk. And I hate saying that because Falk was like a guy that I would say was in your core after last season. 
but Matt Kessel outplayed him in about 15 games. And at least Krug has been providing offense. Um, Letty has looked good in your top pair at times, although I do think you need an upgrade. And if Kessel's playing like that, I think he could be a top four player. I would look at that and be like, yeah, it might be best to open up $6.5 million to fix areas elsewhere and have that spot taken down by a rookie. That was my answer. T-Bone, is there a different one for you? No, I had Folk as well because I, he, I feel like most, most seasons he's been here, it's been disappointing, right? I, I know last year he was really good, and to your point, I think you were 100% spot on of viewing him as a core defenseman last year because I thought he was pretty good. Uh, or two years ago, he's really good. Last sure year, he was fine. At the end of the season, though, he was great. Yeah, um, but for the most part, I feel like it's been disappointment with Justin Falk. I, I feel like there's been more disappointing times for Justin Falk than there have been, oh, that's a guy that you're glad you signed to a $6.5 million deal for the next four years. Yeah, he hasn't had a Colton Pareko-type season where you look at it like this year and you're like, damn, that guy is helping you win. Yeah. They have $17 million and three no-trade clauses tied up into Nick Letty, Tory Krug, and Justin Falk. And there's and there's your there's your problem. And I would say that two of those guys exceeded expectations this season because I didn't really I think Krug's played well, better than what people will give him credit for, even though I know he's like a minus twenty three. But he's he's brought more consistency to his game. Um, and I think Letty has been consistent for you. I, I think and some of this is because Justin Falk has been injured, but when Justin Falk has played, uh, it's been defensive liability and you haven't been getting offense from him. Alex Petrangelo just worth noting has three years remaining on his uh, current deal I'm sure it doesn't seem like uh, Vegas is going to be buying him out putting him into the minors or allowing him to be exposed in a you say he's only got three years left on his deal after this year it's been eight years since he's almost eight years since he's been gone he's, this is year four jeez it's not like we're gonna do any of that with Falk no well they'll bring Petro back you know at the end of his career and be like oh look he finished here a reminder the whole thing was the no move clause and the only differences between the no trade and the no move is waiving a player which they have not done buying out a player which they have not done or exposing a player in an expansion draft which has not taken place since then and is not expected to take place over the course of the next two years which is when it would have to happen in order for you to expose Alex Petrangelo you know what's funny about us talking about the top left-handed defenseman with Colton Pareko and how it's an offensive driver. You guys have seen what Vince Dunn has been labeled as in the Seattle Kraken organization, correct? The guy that you've decided not to Well, hell, and, and just protect. imagine if you had Petro Jake, as your number one defenseman. And- Pareko as your number two defenseman, yeah. and then have Vince Dunn and... Another, and uh, look, I understand. Bring back Wallman in I understand scenario? living it. No, you don't need another. Forward. Right, listen, no. mistakes were made alongside yeah. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. There have been mistakes that have led us to good this point. Vibrations. You guys have a fantastic Rachel's weekend. Going well. We are looking <laughs> forward to talking to each and every one of your bright, bright and shining faces on Monday morning at 11 a.m. We appreciate you guys tuning in as we do each and every day here on BK and Ferrario. The Fast Lane is coming up next, right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.